Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, June 16th. We are here live. It's a free-for-all for the next hour. Anything goes. Jump in and join us. In fact, jump in quick. Save me. I've got uh, I've got next to nothing today. My brain's kind of tired. So we're going to open up the phone lines right now, and I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to call. 855-950-3835. Uh, I, I didn't plan anything at all today. I figured we'd get the calls start coming in, and we'll spend as much of the hour as we can on calls. So jump in now and join me, or we'll be sitting here in silence. Yeah, my brain's kind of tired. I've been doing a lot of brain work this week. Uh, Actually, the last several weeks, with all the new research, and I'm going back and redoing a lot of my material and writing with the help of AI, uh, concepts that I've talked about in the past but struggled to write about. I'm now able to write some of those with AI. Again, all my thoughts, uh, all my material, AI is just a really powerful tool uh, for writing and making it clear. Uh, but it still still just drains me. The, the brain work, I, I would much, much rather go out and spend 10 hours in the garden doing physical labor. The brain work just exhausts me. So um, I need a break. So uh, phones are coming in. That's awesome. I'm going to get to them right now. Let's go to Missouri. Sarah and Vic, welcome. Hey, Kevin. I was listening to a book last night on earthing, and I know that we have talked about it a lot (laughs) in the past and know a lot of the benefits. But the question always comes up, if I can remember, uh, I'm not sure about how that would work in the truck. Well, in this book I just sent to you that I finished last night, the the guy started doing experiments with earthing and grounding pads and grounding sheets uh, back in the 90s. And one of the chapters towards the end almost focuses specifically on truck drivers. Really? He mentions that he used gravel in an RV a lot. Uh, Duke's trying to talk to you, too. Yeah, I can hear um, that. <laughs> he mentioned that he used in an RV a lot. Um, and his neighbor was a truck driver and they got to talking. Um, and he mentions that he took some grounding pads to a local large truck stop on the North side of LA and they got about 25, I think that was a number, got about 25 volunteers. He gave them a grounding pad to sit on and clipped it to the metal frame of the seat because that's attached to the truck frame. And told them to, you know, sit on this, ride up, you know, ride up the freeway. And when you get done with your shift, fill out this form. And here's a self-addressed stamped envelope to mail it back to me. Long story short, people had um, had experienced some of the benefits of grounding. And it, it calmed so, them. It, it helped uh, did, move the, the static electricity that builds up. And he, he mentioned that being hooked to being hooked to the frame rails, the large metal frame of a vehicle, while not exactly the same as being connected directly to the earth, has a lot of the benefit. That's what I was wondering. While we're in the truck. So it's not true grounding, but maybe the vehicle is able to, I don't know, disperse. See that... I thought yes, from yes. grounding the, we the were first, uh, okay. That's what I was thinking. That maybe that big piece of metal is able to at least disperse it. We're not going to pick up that positive charge. I don't think. I don't know. 
we want to pick up the negative charge from the or the negative charge, right. Right. We want it to attach to the positive and neutralize it. This has always confused mm-hmm. me because they'll tell you, you know, if, if a power line drops on your car or you get struck by lightning, you're fine because you're not grounded. It can't complete the circuit. So it's interesting. I, you know, there's two things going on here. One, <laughs> I'd like somebody who understands the physics maybe to explain to us that that is what's happening and there is a benefit to that. Otherwise, I it, it's just possible. I, I'm just a big believer in the um, uh, the placebo yes, he effect. Al- he also does rec- he also does recommend bare feet on the ground and everything. But um, in the in the appendices at the end, they also go through and explain a bunch of the physics: airplanes, okay. cars, trucks. Okay, uh, interesting. You know, mostly mostly it's it, it's best to get bare feet on the ground or you know, ground, have your bed grounded with a sheet or a mat while you're sleeping. It's connected directly to the earth. But this is something for people who are driving a lot and in motion a lot. They can also benefit. Okay. Um, so I shared that book with you. And they also mentioned, I shared with Lauren earlier, they also mentioned that it's very beneficial for people who are pregnant to sleep on a grounding mat. It helps the um help the processing yeah um yeah i'll bet it was like in in the chapter specifically he mentioned that i think it was like back in 2000 they even had a write-up in overdrive magazine about sitting on a grounding mat and getting grounded while you're driving and maybe i'll go look and they were hoping that it would be a big thing in the industry by now um but it's not and maybe we need to bring that back um Trying to remember, I I may have been writing my column for Overdrive in 2000. It may have been a little later than that. I don't remember. I wrote a I wrote their business column the, for a couple of years. He even mentions the name of the article where they wrote it up. I don't okay. remember it word for word, but he mentions the name. Of it. Yeah, well, I should um, be able so to go find it. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Great. I, now I have another book to go read. Let's uh, let's go to Missouri. Adam, welcome to the program. Uh, hello, sir. What's on your mind today? Um, well, I've been uh, trying to about in the past where you keep your turbo boost around twenty or less, and one of the things I've noticed is that it really makes your your barometer temperature like go up. And I am uh, I'm not sure. Like I've, I've heard that around nine hundred is about as much as you want to go. I want to get your opinion on that. So first off, we have to be sure we're correct. We know where we're measuring. Is is the pyrometer probe uh, after or before the turbo? Yes, after the turbo. Okay. So no, 900 is not a problem. Remember, tell me what year and what engine, so I make sure I'm addressing this right. I have a 2003 MBM CAT, and I actually had a... A PDI turbo put on it. Yeah. Okay. So we're not worried about emissions per se on this one, but in the newer engines, we really want to keep heat in the engine. We want to raise temperatures. You know, our our approach to engines has always been keep things cool, especially if we're trying to get more horsepower and high performance. That's changed now. With emissions, we really need to keep heat in these things, and we need to push the limits of some of the heat. But 900 on the parameter, 
um, is not too high. 1100 on, you know, a pull when we're in the right RPM range isn't a problem. Okay. I've just, I've just been trying to keep it cool. You know, I'm putting a million and I'm hoping to get a million through. Why? Yeah. We're the engine's more efficient with heat. There's even a formula for every 10 degrees hotter. We could run that engine. You can get about a 10th of a mile per gallon. It's the whole point when Does that we, affect the longevity of the engine. I possibly, but the problem with trying to determine longevity is it's next to impossible. We're talking engines that typically last a million two, a million three. We've seen some engines go past a million and a half. How do you ever do any kind of testing where you could prove what you did either lengthened or shortened the life? There's way too many variables over that time. So, in, and, and let's think about it. If you do the math, if you end up getting two or three or 400,000 miles more, what does it really do to the cost? It's not a straight, you can't just say, well, my engine lasted longer, that's better. Well, no, not necessarily. There may be times where we're willing to give up engine life because we save money every single day. You'd never be able to make up that savings by increasing the life a little bit. So I don't spend a lot of time focusing on how long do we keep these things running. They run a long, long time anyway. The newer ones are, we don't even know when we're going to rebuild these things or if they will, they're lasting so long. So longevity to me, you're probably going to get rid of the truck for some other reason. So I, I would not, and I'm not talking about temperatures right now that would put you at any kind of a risk. We did some testing with the Evans coolant because the Evans coolant was so much better, we could raise temperatures and we pushed them all the way to the point where we did start having some head failures. They were always older remand heads, but we had to be aware of it. But we were talking about oil temperatures up in the 240s and 250s. Oh, wow. Hey, that's hot. Yeah, and we improved fuel economy. We improved performance. We improved uh, combustion. It was a clean, cleaner combustion. The problem was the Evans coolant was just, it was definitely not for fleets or anybody with a driver. It's, you can't get any water in the system and, you know, it pulls into a shop and somebody sees it's low or the driver sees it's low, they put water in it, you will wipe out an engine. We had one happen. New glider, we built it, it had less than 50,000 miles on it. The coolant level went down, driver put water in it. The Evans coolant has no rust inhibitors at all because there's no water in the Evans coolant. It's not a, a water-based um, coolant like our typical coolants are. So since it doesn't have water and it's not supposed to have water, it also doesn't have any rust inhibitors. So as soon as somebody gets some water in that system, it, we were rusting the inside of the engine. It, it was a, it, The product worked. Hey, we, hey. we did improve fuel economy and performance. There were there were too many potential downsides. That's why we just kind of dropped it. Um, I have, I was uh, curious. I haven't been paying attention to what you've been talking about lately, but uh, I was kind of curious how you feel about Trump these days. You know, I haven't changed my opinion of him as a person, and I, I really don't like him as a, I, I hate to say that. I, I, I liked his policies. I've said this many times. It's just, his approach has, I think, really hurt him. 
I think had he not taken the approach of in everybody's face all the time, constantly criticizing the media, that was his biggest mistake. He could walk around criticizing politicians all day long. I could care less. They need that. Criticizing the media was just dumb. Whether they need it or not, they have way too much power over the people. And look how it played out. He didn't get reelected. That was kind of my point. It was his actions that led to, he could have been one of the most popular presidents ever if he just would have mellowed out the fight with the media and everybody else all the time. And just just his mannerisms and the way he speaks. It was a perfect call, a perfect call. It was a, it, it's not a perfect call. Nothing's perfect. Stops. It, that's that kind of stuff just made me crazy. He gave everybody all the ammunition they needed to attack him constantly. And it hurt him overall as a president. So but I'm actually nope. I, I'm actually going to change my mind this time. If he's on the ballot, I'm going to vote for him. Actually, I am, too. And I I've been a Democrat for quite a long time, but I feel like what the Democrats have been doing to him and also the the wokeness and the LGBT and everything else, I'm just, they've just completely pissed me off and I I want nothing to do with the Democrat. I'm going Republican. I've never done this before. I'm going to go Republican across the board. I'm like, I'm pissed and I don't... You know, you... You, I've I've been asking for Democrats to call me for about four years and explain to or just just tell me, are you really behind all of the push that's coming from the Democratic side? The, The push, the green push, the push to kill cows because, you know, we can't farm cows because they fart too much. The LGBTQ stuff, the the border. I just I've asked just. But just be honest, just call me and tell me if you're a Democrat. Do you agree with this stuff? Do you think this is a good direction or not? And really, all I get is crickets. You're one of the first that have called and, and said, I, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, I can't. And I, it I, seems like it's getting worse. I didn't vote for him the first two times, and I explained why. So why would I do it now? Well, we're at a critical point in the country. It's not going to do me any good to vote for the libertarian candidate. Hell, nobody even knows there is one anymore. Um, So why waste my... And I've always said the other thing is I'm in a state where I waste my vote anyway on the president. I'm in a state that's so blue, it really doesn't matter. But I guess just principle this time. Uh, Now, now, let me say this. In the primaries... If there's some other candidate, and I will tell you, I, I will probably in the in the primaries vote for Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't think he's got a chance, although things could change, and he might. Of the candidates running right now, by far, he's my favorite. If Trump hey, ends uh, up on the final thing, ballot, I, I would vote for him. I, one of the reasons that I have really kind of changed my mind, too, is because I started listening to... Uh, YouTube, and I've, I've listened to two of his books now by uh, Thomas Sowell, and um, that guy is amazing. Oh, yeah. He's just got so much information. Yeah, and, and, and it's so well presented. And right. He's such a good debater. Yep, I agree. Yeah, so he's a big he's, he's a big part of my, my switch. When I started listening well, to him, I'm like, you know, they talk about statistics, use them in a, in a negative way, and I just, it's just amazing. I just It I'm, is, it he is. He blows my mind. Well, you know what? When you start reading, when you start reading books or following other people, what you're doing, 
It's very, very clear the vast majority of our mainstream media is very left and liberal these days. They don't even try to hide it. There's no attempt at, um, you know, fair and balanced whatsoever. It, it's, uh, it's clear. So most people either get their information actually, from there. I actually or, started watching uh, Tucker. Okay. I actually started watching Tucker Carlson. Yeah. On uh, YouTube also, and I, I just watched his third episode, and I thought that was interesting. He's talking about Trump and how they're going after him for what he said about wars. You know, it, and it's getting out of them. Absolutely true. So, and this is another reason why I do like Trump's policies. They are more libertarian. He, you know, the the conservative. It, they always called the conservatives the war hawks, but that that's not really true these days. And the libertarians have never wanted to be the world's police. We should not be in wars all over the damn globe. And and Trump was that way too. And and that seems to be why they want him out more than anything. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for uh, for. Uh, expanding and, and being honest about it. I, I I believe there, and maybe we'll see at this election, maybe we won't, I don't know. Um, I, I just have to believe there are a lot of Democrats who just aren't happy with a lot of the big pushes from the Democratic Party. Let's go to Tennessee. Melody, welcome. Hi, Kevin, how are you? Doing good. What's on your mind today? Well, I remember, and you said this several times, I try to listen to your shows every single day, and I never knew what you meant by doing the hard work. Oh, okay. But now I think I know. <laughs> now I think I know what you mean. Um, I started taking um, uh, online classes at Penn Foster to get my mechanic certification. Congratulations. And it is, yeah, but the problem is it's nothing but boring, dry reading and a lot of theory and a lot of history. And I'm just like, okay. You, you know what, though? Um, let, I let, me, get, let me give you some encouragement. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I yeah. one of the areas that I am mostly self-taught in almost everything I do. I, I'm mostly self-taught. And then in some cases, I'll, I'll get to a certain point and say, OK, I need more than a good example would be the tax. Let me start back a little bit. Doing tax returns. I've done thousands and thousands of tax returns, business owner, operator, uh, totally self-taught. I, no classes, no training, no nothing. I taught myself how to do taxes and got really good at it. Uh, financial planning. I started self-teaching, just reading books, learning, uh, ended up going through the certified financial program, certified financial planner. Same thing with, with health and nutrition. Started self-taught, just read a lot of books, then decided I need some formal education. Here's the difference that I find. And I'm struggling with this now with electrical stuff. Trucks are very electrical mm -hmm. today. Uh, my coach is uh, an electrician's nightmare. There's there's four different electrical systems in there. You've got solar, you've got generator, you've got battery power. It's just insane. It, you plug in. So there's technically four different sources of electricity and, and systems in there. You've got 12 volt and 120 volt. So maybe I could even say five systems because of the 12 volt. 
Uh, and that's inside too. A lot of wow. the fans and lights are 12 volt, but the outlets are 120. I've tried to teach myself, you know, electrical troubleshooting. The struggle I run into is I don't know the the deep theory and the background to what I'm trying to figure out. You know, my method is touch this wire and see what happens. Oh, I blew a fuse. Uh, and I figure it out by trial and error. And if I do enough of that, I learn things. But I really would benefit from going back and taking one of those dry, boring classes about basic electricity so I could learn that theory. So, yes, this is part of the hard work I would push through. Yeah, and I need to because I've paid for the course, and now that I've started it, I can't go get my money back, you, so I have to go through it you will and benefit do it from no this. matter how long it takes. You will benefit from this. Yeah. So you've heard me talk about troubleshooting, right? Mm-hmm. So with my method of electrical troubleshooting, it prob- on some jobs, I'm not exaggerating, I'll bet it takes four or five times longer for me to troubleshoot because I don't have that basic understanding in theory that would help me know these are the possibilities that could cause the problem. I'm not good at knowing that. So I have to just go in and try everything and it's very time consuming. So understanding the, the more understanding you have of those systems, and, and it is kind of theory and dry, it's not hands-on, but the more understanding of that you have, the better you will be able to troubleshoot. Yes, and uh, actually about two weeks ago, because um, I do need to have some practice like turning wrenches and taking things apart and putting them back together again. And I had an opportunity to do that where my death filter needed to be changed. It wasn't a very complicated thing to do, but I just needed uh, a 13 millimeter socket. And so I, I have an idea. And I was for able you. to um, just what? I have, go to start going to yard sales and buy anything with an engine that you can find really cheap, like a lawnmower for 25 bucks or a hundred or, or whatever, just, just, okay. and then take them home and start taking them apart. Oh, it's so funny that you said that because, um, my dad is giving my stepson his 1998, um, little S10 and it's got rust issues. It's got some other little issues and he's going to need help, um, working on it. Start turning wrenches. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's other things that I can do on the track that don't. Yeah. So you are not probably ever going to get to the point where you're going to do an in-frame where where you're going to replace pistons and rings and that kind of stuff. We don't even do it much anymore. And most owners aren't going to do it themselves because it's a big job. But you know what? It helps to know how that all works. If you take a lawnmower engine apart and you get to the piston and the rings, it's exactly the same as what's inside a diesel engine. I shouldn't say exactly, but it's a piston, it's a ring, it's a connecting rod, it connects to a crankshaft. The the basic structure of most internal combustion engines is very, very similar. So when when you hear us talking about the, the cylinder walls got polished and now the rings don't seat well and and now we're consuming oil and we've lost some power and we've lost you will see exactly what we're talking about when you take that one head off of the engine and you take the one cylinder off and there's that one piston the only difference is your truck has six of them 
Okay, yes, that and that's true because it'll also help me understand how things work. With a lawnmower engine is two-stroke, and with a truck or a car or anything like that is four-stroke, and that's, that's uh, well, like your biggest me, difference, really. You are correct, sort of, not entirely, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know this. My first truck was a two-stroke. There were two-stroke and are two-stroke diesels. They really don't build many of them today. It's an emissions thing. Um, they got away from two-stroke. Right. D- d- the original Detroit diesel engines were two-strokes. The 6Vs, the 8Vs, they were two-stroke engines. Um, and then they went out of business, actually. And um, Roger Penske bought the company and really, if I remember right, the original design for the Series 60 either came from, I don't know why I'm thinking John Deere all of a sudden, or Cummins. One of the two. I think he bought the original design and then turned it into the Series 60, the Detroit now probably the most popular engine in the country, has been for a long, long time. But the original Detroits were two strokes. I didn't know that. And most people don't. It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, that, that's weird. And I'm 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 learning the difference between one and the other, and you know what a um. So here's a what big, a piston stroke like what what that has to do with and everything. So here's a big difference. A lot of people who drove those trucks did not understand that they were two strokes. What's the big difference in, say, a lawnmower or a weed whacker or something? What's the big difference? What do you have to add to the gasoline when you're running a two-stroke? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's not It's not primer. No. But you have to add oil. Else. You have to add oil. I don't remember. Yeah, well, you, oil, and you have to add the two-stroke oil. Correct. So it can either be a system where you mix it yourself, you put some two-stroke oil in the gasoline and then pour that into the tank, where a lot of two-stroke engines mm-hmm. had an injection system where you put two-stroke oil in a container. Uh, uh, you would fill a, a container on the vehicle itself and then put the gas in the tank, and it would mix them for you. But the in a diesel two-stroke the diesel fuel has enough lubricity that it doesn't need oil. We didn't add oil to the two strokes. So a lot of people didn't even realize there was a difference. Okay. But all so, that, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. All that kind of history and that background and that theory really is good. Okay. I wish it had more videos. Like I like, I like videos. It would help like kind of engage me more. I'm surprised that they don't. But a lot of it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of reading, but I mean, maybe I'll get to the videos later. (laughs) It's possible. Really when you're, I could see how they could use more video, even in the theory to kind of show you this stuff working. Um, For a lot of people, video really does help. Yeah, I get kind of sketch-type diagrams of um, whatever they're talking about, and it's kind of hard to match up with the, with the sketches and what the, the real thing is. Yeah. As far as, like I said, turning wrenches, just start buying cheap stuff and taking it apart. And then see if you can actually get it back together. You know one of, one of the most important tools my toolbox has become? What? My phone. I take pic. It's so easy to take yes. pictures. Take pictures before you put a wrench to anything. 
You're doing something new. You're not sure what you're getting into. Take a picture before you put a wrench on. Take a couple bolts out. Take another picture. It's just so easy to snap pictures all the way along while you're doing jobs like this. And it is a huge time saver and will save you a lot of trouble. That's a really good tip because I watch very I watch different YouTube videos of how to change that dust filter. And with a lot of things, YouTube has been really good for me to, oh, yeah. you know, show me how to, you know, just get down and, and do stuff. Yeah, take lots of pictures. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's, um, I guess I'm going to keep going with that course. Um, I did pay for it. Can't get my money back. So I might as well, um, take, you know, make the best of it. Uh, You will be glad you did really. You'll look back and say, I'm glad I learned all that. Let me, you know, you you started this by saying you now are starting to understand what I mean by the hard work. The hard work has nothing whatsoever to do with working hard. Lots of people I know. It doesn't. And now I know what you mean. (laughs) Right. Lots of people I know work hard. And, and, And honestly, if all you do is work hard, you're you probably won't be very well rewarded at all. Lots of people work hard, and I think it's pathetic what they get paid, really. But that that's our system. And that's, I, that's, I did that for years and years and years. Yeah. I worked very hard, very little payoff. Exactly. So and but I'm not saying you, you can skip working hard. We, we still have to work hard. I work pretty damn hard and, and I don't really need to anymore, but I yeah. still do. It's kind of a habit. But if we want to up our rewards exponentially, the only way to let me ask you this. When you were working hard, if somebody would have said, well, just work harder and you'll get rewarded more. Would that have worked? No. Um, back no, then, would, I really did think so. I, yeah, I would yeah, think no, so I know. back we, then. We think so, but at some point, could you have even worked much harder? No, I mean, how it, much it, can you do outside it, it, 12 it, hours a day? It's like, it, oh. Exactly, right. And and you can only do so much while you're working. If it's as a driver, you can only drive so many miles. I can't work any harder. So if I'm already working as hard as I can and this is my only reward, well, I better figure out something else. And the something else, you still have to keep working hard. The something else is going to figure out what the hard work is for you and then doing it. And for you right now, I think this is a good one. This is going to be a really valuable skill. But here's one of the ways we can identify the hard work. Usually it's something you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, then that's exactly it. I mean, it's the stuff that you don't want to do because it's uh, dry and boring, but Uh, you have to do it anyway because I do get a little, I do get something out of it in the end. I really do. Absolutely. And things like our accounting. Hell, I hate accounting. People always tell me, oh, you're such a numbers guy. No, I'm not. I hate that stuff. I really do. I wish I could never look at another spreadsheet or a financial report. I don't enjoy it. But I know it's necessary. It's the hard work that I just have to buckle down and do. Yes. Yeah, I know that. That's true. And, you know, as many times as you said that, I didn't know what you mean. And then I heard you say it in a slightly different way. And it made me think of my um, of my online courses. Yep. Yep. That's the kind of stuff. Look, how many of your friends do you know that bothered to do that? 
Uh, I don't know anybody who exactly. bothers to do that. Like I'm, right. I'm a new owner operator and I'm trying to educate myself as much as I can. And I know owner operators who have owned trucks for 25 years and, and still know very little about mechanics. And, and, and that's fine. They've obviously made it 25 years, but I, Here's the thing. Almost every job in our economy today, you've got to work hard. You just have to. That that's You're going to put in a lot of hours. There's a lot of time involved. My point has always been, if I'm going to work that hard, damn it, I'm going to get the most reward possible. I, so it's fine to say, well, sure, he was in business for 25 years. He didn't need to know the mechanics. He did just fine. I, well, just fine has never been fine enough for me. I, I don't want to work that hard and leave a bunch of money on the table because I didn't do the hard work. Now, here's the other thing. Once you get through with the hard work a lot of times you're done the learning part you know you can move on to learn something new and at some point learning for me became enjoyable very enjoyable things like accounting never really become enjoyable but I got to the point where after doing my own for enough years I was able to pay somebody else to do it so now all I have to do is look at the reports right Right. Yeah, that's true. No, definitely. This this is our the first year I'm an owner operator, and I'm definitely going to hire a professional CPA to do our taxes. Um, I don't want to try to do them myself, you know, because no, but it's you, just, I don't want to miss anything. Let, you know, you're, you are correct with that. With the tax return, let's clarify something. I would encourage you to do yeah. your own accounting. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. As in keeping track of all the incoming and outgoing expenses, Correct. like accounting. That, that, uh, that's what Jane uh, is doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm keeping up on it. So this way, all I have to do when I get to the CPA during tax time is just um, I'll have numbers for her. You know? Yes, perfect. You should have those numbers every month. And you could even call me mm-hmm. once in a while and send those over and we could go over them. That's the point of doing the accounting is looking at it to learn more about your business and how you can increase profits. We don't, yeah, we don't yeah, do the accounting having, you know, just having for all the tax your numbers right. together. Yeah, we don't do accounting just for the tax return. Most owner operators, that's all they do, though. If they can get their tax return done at the end of the year, they're fine. That's that's the last reason I do it. The only reason I do that is because I have to. The government says I have to have that information to do a tax return. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother. But I do numbers for a a much different reason. It's so I can look at the business and know how to make improvements. Yeah, you can do that. And then you avoid leaving a lot of money up on the table. You know, absolutely. And now that we have a good accounting system, that will ensure we pay the least amount of tax possible. Yes. Yeah, that's that's another that's a big thing, too. All right. Um, Well, congratulations. Enjoy the class. I know it sometimes can be dry, but that that theory is going to pay off well for you. So push through and uh, enjoy it as much as you can. Let's go to Colorado. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Uh, real quick before I forget, um, uh, going 55 miles an hour at 1,000 RPMs, what uh, gear ratio is in this thing? Hold on. Somebody was uh, just texting me something. Say that again. I, we're try- I'm <laughs> sorry. Well, I'm trying uh, to figure out this 50, audio 50. thing. I haven't <laughs> mentioned this yet, but I yesterday I developed a new audio problem out of the blue, and nothing changed. So I'm just uh, my I've been streaming the live spaces just fine 
recording it. Yesterday, I went to go live in spaces. Nothing would stream. Nothing would record. Still wasn't this morning. So I had the team kind of working on some ideas on the background, and they're texting me. Um, we may not do spaces sorry, the today. Old, we, probably, we may stay in the app. Sorry, the ohms. I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I need better ground. I need another grounding strap. I don't know what the hell it is. It's just it's so intermittent. It's making me crazy. That's the that's the other uh, idea I had. Um, okay, a thousand RPMs at fifty five miles an hour. Uh, what kind of rear ends in this thing? Well, I have no idea. What 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 is the final ratio oh. in the transmission? Uh, is, it's, it's a 13, uh, 12 speed. That, that, uh, that, that doesn't tell me a thing. There's so oh, many models okay. with right. so I, many different final ratios. So this is an algebra problem, which means we can only solve for one number. We have to have all of the other numbers. In your case, we're missing two. We don't know two the two rear, three. We don't know the rear end ratio. That's the one we're trying to solve for. But in order to solve for that, I need transmission final ratio, tire size, and speed. Okay. Okay. Twenty-two fives, but okay. Um. All right. I just I, I didn't even think about that. I was going through the canyon when you were talking to the first lady about grounding the truck. Um. So maybe this already came up, but. Uh, if you're if you're grounding to the uh, frame rail, um, let's say you're, you're hauling your, the same trailer all the time, why couldn't you drop your landing gear and ground to that? We're talking about while you're driving. Dropping the landing gear might cause a few issues while we're driving. Oh, why? Oh, oh, why? Yeah. While you're driving. Okay, yeah. I thought it was more of the. Oh, I thought it was when you were stopped doing the doing the grounding pad or something okay no so okay. It, it 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 turns out that this book claims and and when she was talking about it i kind of had an idea of where it was going that it's not true grounding because the vehicle isn't grounded because of the tires but because we attach our body to this giant metal surface there's some dispersion going on i i don't know what that does for okay. our health i don't know so I need to go read the book and, and see if I can figure out what exactly is happening here. He claims that on his post-survey that people were, were seeing some of the same benefits you get from grounding. I'm very skeptical of those kinds of surveys. There's, it, 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 right. and I'm not saying yeah. you shouldn't do them. I do that kind of stuff all the time. But I'm also very skeptical when I do it. When somebody calls me and says, oh, my right. God, I put that fleet air filter in and I'm going up the hill. You know, I've got so much more power. That's very subjective. Right. And it's wide open yeah. to the placebo effect. And so I'll do that kind of stuff. But I don't put a ton of faith in just, you know, 15 of the 20 people telling me that they slept better and they were calmer. OK, it's a start. But that let's not look at that as proof. No, that's not that's not proof. That's subjective. And, okay, and then so I agree with you about ninety percent of the time on politics, and I totally agree with you that Trump is part of his own demise. Uh, just with his tweets and you know the shit that he says just drive you nuts. Loved his policies, but. 15 minutes after he came down that escalator, he was an outsider. He's not part of the inside. 
and the FBI is spying on him 15 minutes after he comes down that damn escalator from the inside. They didn't want him. He could have. He could have treated the media like they were family. It, it, and they it, were, it, and it, that's it, just it another appendage of the left. But it would have helped if he just would have ignored them. Just ignore them and go do your job every day. And he did do his job. He's one of the hardest working presidents I've seen. Go do your job. Ignore them. Right. It, it, even if even if the media see. If, if he was just quiet and, and just ignored them, we didn't need him to expose the media. We all knew that. It's obvious. I, I don't need him to expose that. But he gave them all the ammunition they needed. They all the all the, it, he made he their job so damn easy that he should have made them work for it. Because if he would have just shut up and went to work, they would have had to. To, to write ridiculous stuff. It would have been even more obvious. But he says it, they attack it, the left cheers it, and, and that's why he didn't get reelected, in my opinion. More ridiculous stuff. Well, the reason he didn't get reelected was because, yes, of the media and the FBI, but more ridiculous stuff than a, than a hooker peeing on his bed. And, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. It didn't get yeah, any it would have gotten from day worse. one. From no, day it, one. It, it would have been worse, trust I don't, me. I don't, it, what would, if he didn't yeah, well, give them all the ammunition, they'd have to go look for stuff and start making stuff up. They didn't have to. He gave them ammunition every single day. It was a huge mistake. The, the Russian collusion thing was all made up. The whole thing was made up. But but again, I mean, when, now we have proof look, that it was look, made up. Look, if I if I go on social media and I look at all the people out there that are giving trucking advice, TikTok is the worst. I'm not on TikTok, but I I, I don't have the app. I never no, me will. Neither. But I've seen TikTok videos right. everywhere else, so I know what kind of crap goes on. Right. You got people, you know, pushing TikTok videos about buying trucks for passive income. Oh, my God. There, there is so much garbage out there. But I will tell you this, and, and I know this from experience. I used to go after those people. I used to say, look, I, I am going to make sure people know that that is bullshit information. That I, I kind of thought of it as my job. This is what, you know, my right. listeners, my clients, my customers want. I went after them. I had to stop. They will come after you yeah. with a vengeance and they will tie you up and they have way more time than I do to that for that kind of crap. So I just stopped doing no. that. I just put my head down and, and do what I do. I'll put out good information. I'll, that's what he should have done. Nobody comes after me if yeah, I'm not going after them or, or it's much more rare that somebody well, does well, it. But when I started well, that, 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 I was. That constantly fighting with people on social media. What a total waste of time. Yeah, totally. You're not going to change anybody's mind, just like the, the guy with the broker. You're not going to change his mind. He's said in his way. You know, that's just uh, uh, brainwashing uh, from way back. You're just not going to change these people's minds. They're, 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 they're Bolsheviks. They will and hurt you. If they had the opportunity... They would physically hurt you. Like, you know, like so, I said, so. I, I, I'm going to keep saying this because I want to put the P. I, I'm not using any names. I, I don't need to right now. I can keep saying this. The people that did it know, and I'm putting them on notice. My reputation is critically important to me. It's taking me decades to build it. Now, some people might say, oh, your reputation sucks anyway. Well, that's your opinion. Fine. I think I've got a pretty damn right. good reputation no. in, in many sectors of the trucking industry. 
And that's important to me. My whole business all. is built on that. You start making claims that I am morally bankrupt, corrupt, and a fraud, and we're going to have some issues. I, I'm just putting them on notice. Right. I'm no, not, I, I'm not and I agree. A, I heard that. Yeah. And, and this is coming. This it's, is coming not just from an individual, but an individual that is a, is an officer of an organization. And then the president of that organization retweeted one of these. So now I'm putting the organization and, look at that. and the individuals on notice. It should cease or or prove it. Show where I'm corrupt, right. it, morally bankrupt. Well, let's just throw that one out. I don't even know what the hell they mean by that. Corruption is pretty clear. They don't know what they Show mean. Show me corruption in, in my operation or anything I've done. And fraud is pretty clear. If you're going to say it, you better prove it. If you can't prove it, you better shut up. Well, a nice little slander lawsuit might be in order. You know what I mean? And I then don't, they shut I, up for sure. I, I, I hate lawsuits and lawyers. I know. I don't. But you know what? No, I go know. Ahead, it, go it, ahead and bankrupt them like they do. Like they do uh, they, the the people on the right. Here's the go problem. Go ahead and bankrupt they, them through through through. through, through they they claim forty one thousand members, but there's no dues. No, there's well thirty. Yeah, uh, forty one thousand likes. It's not 41,000 members. Exactly. But they could have members because it's, I think it's, I don't think there's any dues, not that I've seen anywhere. It's really easy to get a lot of people to say, oh yeah, I'll join. It's free. Charge them five bucks and watch right. what happens to your numbers. Yeah, you get three. But then, but even Dave yesterday said, it's not, a, they're not even a, you know, he, he, he had to join his memory bank to even remember who they were. Look, and I'm all for... Not competition. Um, I, I, I have said I attempted to form an owner operator association at one time. I failed at it. I, I think we need more good associations, more business minded associations. So I have no problem with them having the organization and trying to grow it. Fantastic. I, I will tell you, coming after somebody like me, uh, after just like one day of a a conversation where I had one opinion, they had another. I never called anybody names. I never said yeah. that's stupid or you're ignorant. Or I, I just said, here's my opinion about this right. issue. You're not entitled to a profit. You have to earn it. No. And the broker has no yeah. advantage over yeah. you. You can go get the same freight they can. There's no barrier to that. So stop blaming this on the brokers. That's all the conversation was. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, it, it, the it, insults are flying and they're going to crush me. Well, first off, it, right. it, I, well, you know, rather than fight with them, I, now? I, I'd I like think to, you're crush-proof. I, I'd like to give them some advice. No matter what your, your approach, no matter what you're trying to fix in the trucking industry, your tactics suck. This is like Trump. You're going that, at that's it the my wrong point. Way. Don't do this. That this is right. hurting your mission. If you have a mission and this is the way you're acting, I can promise you, you're not going to succeed acting like this. Just because somebody disagrees with you, you call them morally bankrupt, a fraud, and and corrupt, and and you're going to crush them. Did they, I, uh, did they call you a racist? No, they didn't. That that was, I guess, one good not, sign. Not yet. That's next. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's next. Right. That's their go, bad their, their business. Go um, I, even it, 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 it is bad business. It, it is, and and uh, they'll pay the price. You know, uh, they're probably if they're not, if you know, these are the guys that are probably have never been in a truck. Uh, not saying that you have to be in a truck. To, you know, look at Dave. 
uh, yesterday. I mean, and, and I love the collaboration that you have with him. I think you guys are going to come up with uh, some fantastic ideas that uh, help the owner-operators um, uh, just the way that you think together. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, we don't need to come up with any ideas, any more ideas. It's It was uncanny how we started talking about ideas on things we hadn't done yet. We've had this idea, but just couldn't figure out how to get it done. I, I, I'm shocked at how many issues we are so aligned on, things we've wanted to do over the years. So there's a whole bunch of ideas we've already talked about that are just sitting there waiting for us to work on. It's just, it really is a good connection. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I'd like to, um, um, I, I, I'm happy that you're going down to the conference that he's having, and uh, I'm going to do everything I can to be I, uh, down there too, just to sit back and be quiet and, and listen and learn. Yeah, I, I we didn't really say it yesterday, and I know we'll probably put out a big announcement at some point, but uh, since he already went ahead and mentioned it, um, I am uh, going to be the keynote there. I'll be the keynote. I'm doing at oh. least one breakout that I know of, and I'll be doing... Uh, Dave and I, I guess, are going to do the award ceremonies together. I mean, that's what we've talked about so far. So we'll see. Wow, that's yeah, that's going to be great. And uh, I've never really hung out in Nashville before, but um, uh, that sounds like a real fun uh, week or four days or whatever it is. I don't remember how many days it was. Was it three days? Uh, I think it was. I think you said it was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Uh, parking might be an issue is the only, is the only so, thing. I'll have to get there a day early, baby. Uh, since I've announced it kind of unofficially, I'm sure we'll put out a, a bigger announcement. Um, I've said this many times. Keynotes are not really my forte. Uh, I prefer, you know, more teaching kind of stuff. Keynotes are honestly what keynotes have become today. And this is why I'm not really all that wild about them. The best keynote speakers are half comedian. They're funny. They're entertaining. They're, yeah. You know, Larry Winget is Larry Winget's one of the best. I think he has a message. He's got lots of good lessons in there. But he, he it's just some of his keynote stuff is hilarious. Uh, he's he's honed, he's honed it and he's practiced it. And I, I just don't do a lot of keynotes, but I I need to get better. So. I'll throw it out there. I don't, the first thing I need is a theme. That's part of the problem with me on keynotes. If I'm going to do a breakout, I can just say, well, I'm going to do fuel mileage or I'm going to do maintenance or I'm going to do taxes. And I know exactly what material I should cover and how I should cover it. Keynotes though are, are more like well, do, theory kind of stuff. And I don't do, know. Do, do, do the hard work. That's do the hard work would be a great theme. And then, and then, Ooh. and then you have the, the, the sub chapters all bond uh, uh, underneath that. Oh, I you like know? that because because well because you already know you already you already you're that's already in your wheelhouse you already you have that in the, I mean that's that, already that, in the bank that could be a good theme for a keynote let me think about that yeah sure well yeah sure I'll even okay. give you credit for the idea all right well I hope you open with it yeah Tom okay <laughs> 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 all right okay all right I want to lose you I'm going to the canyons here in Colorado thanks for everything man all right good stuff have a good, good week good talking to you yeah have a good weekend let's go to oh hey I'm gonna make an announcement uh Bill I'll get to you in here in just a second I just brought you on um all right 
we are, I, I'm not able to solve our spaces problem because I obviously can't work on it while I'm on the air. And I have no idea. Nothing changed. I don't think unless some program updated in the background and I didn't know it, but um, we are not moving to spaces today. John, no, Joel, John's not available. I think Joel and Henry um, will be just joining us here. We're just going to continue with the live show. Um, Joel and Henry will join us and we'll switch over to trucking technology and efficiency, but we're not going to be doing it as a space today. What I will probably do, uh, I don't know, maybe, no, nah, I think I'm just going to cancel the space today. Um, all right, Bill, go ahead. Well, you can always ask AI how to fix it. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem with AI right now, it, look, there's a lot of positives. I said it's helping me writing. But to learn how to get AI to do something new, like right now I'm trying to uh, get AI to analyze data in spreadsheets. And it's possible. There's, mm -hmm. there's a process for doing it. But learning the process and learning which tools to use and how to get it all set up is pretty time consuming. So actually right now, even though AI is helping me a lot, it's also taking a ton of my time in other areas. Yeah. All right. Well, question. Um, I'm trying to find out what my, my rear end gate gear ratio is in my truck. Uh, so I got the you, RPMs. Uh, go ahead. Do you know the final ratio in the transmission? That, that I don't. Then we can't. I just haven't it's called. I was just, cause, yeah, because I knew you guys used, used some sort of math and it's a calculator pixie dust it, come it, up with, it, um, it, well it's algebra yeah. and if you understand algebra there mm -hmm. there are all the factors here are tire size final ratio on the transmission gear ratio that's one of the factors rpm and speed there are five factors we can calculate any mm -hmm. one if we have the other four if you give me any no, of the four, I can calculate the fifth, no matter what it is. Tire size, speed, RPM, gear ratio, transmission. But I have to have four of the five to be able to calculate the fifth, no matter what it is. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you must be talking now, about black smoke. Now, there is a, a fairly simple trick that will get you pretty close, and many times it will get us exact. So here's what you do. You go, mm -hmm. out, go out to your truck, park it on a nice level concrete surface, take and make a mark on the concrete right at the very center of the tire. Then you're going to tie a, you're going to make a mark on the tire where it matches the ground. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to tie a string around your drive shaft right near the rear end, the yoke somewhere mm -hmm. right there near the rear end. Now you're going to roll the truck forward till that mark on the tire comes back down to the very center of where it touches the ground. And while that's happening, somebody watches the drive shaft in that string. How many times does the drive shaft rotate for one full rotation of the tire? That will tell us the gear ratio. If it turns around three and a half times, you've got 355s. If it's more like three and mm -hmm. three quarters, you've got 373s. If it's just over two and a half, you might have 264s. So we, we can get pretty close, and yeah, sometimes my, we can get pretty exact. Yeah, I'm pretty low because normally I go about 65, and my RPM's around about 1250. So I was that, just curious. But, but, if, so, but if you had tall 24.5s and a deep, overdrive 0. 
then you may not have low gear ratios. That's mm. why all those other variables matter because we can mm. lower okay. that RPM by putting a bigger tire on. Bigger tire will lower the RPM. Gotcha. If we put a, a, a higher gear in the final drive of the transmission, we can lower the RPM. And then obviously we can lower the RPM mm -hmm. by changing the differential gear as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate it. And to that lady that's learned how to do work on her own truck, I applaud you because there ain't too many people out there. Isn't that awesome? On their truck. I know. I, I love seeing that. Um, I, well, you'd be surprised. Yeah, no, I, I, I How get it. How much money you save? Uh, uh, yeah, and trouble. And look, here's the other thing. I said for years that in the very beginning with my trucks, I did a lot of my own maintenance because I had to. I couldn't afford not to do it. And I was doing my own accounting and I was doing just about everything in the beginning. At some point, you get to be successful enough that you get to choose what you want to do. You don't have to do everything. Well, I, I chose for a long time to continue to do my own accounting because I didn't trust anybody else to do it. I gave up most of the maintenance on my truck, let somebody else do it and paid him. I, I could do it, but having the knowledge of how it should be done, even if you're not doing the work, is really valuable. When you walk into a shop and you're just totally ignorant, they know it, and unfortunately, many times you'll get taken advantage of, or you just won't be able to communicate the problem well enough, and it makes their job harder. So having mechanical knowledge when so much of this business is equipment, mechanical equipment, is just, just a really good thing. Let's go to Indiana. Jeremy, welcome to the program. I wanted to ask for a, more of your brain energy with uh, no guarantee that I might understand. Okay. More about uh, gear ratio. Gear ratio, uh, maybe using what I have to help me understand. I don't know if I, I don't understand the overdrive part. I heard the last callers. And uh, I've got two eight five transmissions. Wait, wait, wait. Uh Say that again. Okay. You have a what transmission? I got it. Uh, uh, 285. I don't know what that means. 285 what? Uh, uh, the number on my, uh, I mean, I'm not, on my uh, differentials. I'm sorry. Oh, you, you're. On the you differentials do, back there. You do know your gear ratio because you read it off the differential and it's 2.85. Yes. Which, what kind of truck is this? Who makes that differential? That's a really odd. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's that? Uh, what Meritor maybe? Is it a I, Meritor? I don't know. Uh, or is that Meritor does have so. some of the odd ratios that I'm not used to, and I, I'm just really I don't know if I've ever seen a 285. Yeah, it's one of the new. It's you know 2021 uh, okay. Freightliner. You know, uh, got so the in that, but they put a Cummins um, X15. But, uh, so I was just trying to understand maybe like, you know, just so I know, I, I know the benefit, you know, I know fuel mileage is what we're after. Right. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, how, what, what, what is my, uh, final or so my let, uh, gear ratio? Let, let me do two things here. Let, let's talk about kind of theory here because that's really what we're talking about we use oh, we use the drive line and when i talk about the drive line everything behind the engine 
So the transmission bolts to the back of the engine. We're talking about from the transmission back. So the driveline includes the transmission, the drive shaft, the U-joints. Then we get to the differentials, which are your axles. And then we have the tires. All yeah. of those are part of the driveline and all of them affect the RPM at any given speed. We use all of those components to get us to a certain RPM at a certain speed for each individual engine. So we look at an engine's architecture, we look at its horsepower and torque curves, and we determine this should be the most efficient place to run this engine. Then we use the, the most efficient RPM to run this engine is what we're looking at. Then we use that drive line okay, to, to get there. Now, there are some, some, like I just said, you could use a taller tire to get to a lower RPM, but I don't recommend it. It could be done, but that's not so one of our, our strategies because there's too many downsides to the bigger tire. So we look at it, well, what's another way we could yeah. lower the RPM? Well, we could change the differential ratio then. So that's what we're attempting right, to do. Now, to, again, to calculate this, I need four of the five factors. I need to know the five factors are tire size, differential gear, final transmission gear. That's the one most people don't know. What's that? Uh, oh, you mean like the ratio uh, uh, 12, of your, 12, I got 12. Correct. But there are multiple models of all transmissions, 10 speeds, 13 speeds, 9 speeds, 12 speeds, 14 speeds, 18 speeds, okay. 15 speeds. There are different models of each one. And the difference is most of the time, yes, it has 15 gears or 12 gears in this case. But what are the yeah. ratios of yeah. those 12 gears? Some of those trend 12 speeds will have a lower first gear and reverse to make backing up and starting off easier. Some of them will have a much higher final ratio, like a really deep overdrive. Some of them will be a direct drive, so 12th gear will be one to one, but we can't guess at it. We have to know for sure, or our calculation will be wrong. And the only way to know is to look up the specific model number of that transmission and go look at the specs on that transmission to see what each gear is. Okay. Of the transmission. Okay. Correct. Huh. It, yeah, it, I see. You could have a 12-speed direct. You could have a 12-speed single overdrive. But if I don't know which one, my calculation is going to be wrong. Really? Okay. Okay. Even with all my doing the speed thing and the tires I, I, and the... There are five factors. We can solve any five right. if we have the other four. But if we only have three, we're, we're toast. There's nothing we can do. I see. And I have or you three. Could, or you could... Correct. I, You're missing that final ratio in the transmission. So, or you can use the trick okay. I just explained with the chalk mark on the tire and the string around the drive shaft. Around the drive shaft, okay. Huh. The string? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just thought of something. The way you started, you told me you have 285s, right? Yeah. Oh, so wait a minute. 
If you know you have two eighty fives, you know the tire size. If you yeah. give me a yeah. speed and an RPM at that specific speed, if I can get my calculator open because I don't have it open because it's been tweaked lately too, but I could bring it up and try. Um, we can solve okay. for the fifth because you do have four. Typically, people like the last caller wanted okay. to know his rear end ratio. He didn't know it, but he also didn't know his transmission. So yeah. he only what had three. What speed do you want? Uh, it doesn't matter. You just you can pick any speed oh, and okay. then just tell me what the RPM is at that speed. But I have to go find my see if I can even bring my calculator up on the I got way too much going on I'm trying to cancel the Twitter feed thing today um, uh, let's see if I can find this there it is let's see if I can actually get it open and get it to work nope I can't uh, okay I think that somebody's hacking me or something a lot of my technology has not been working well this week we've had internet issues all week um, I guess there was some kind of big global uh, cyber attack that's been um, taking down a lot of services. I heard, yeah, I heard something about, yeah, that in the government, yeah, one of theirs or something. I, yeah, they were attacking a lot of government sites, but um, I, I just, I've been yeah. really fighting with technology this week. So I don't have the, well, the calculator. 60, I'm like at 11. Okay. 60, at 60, I was like 10 and a half or 11. 60. Maybe uh, even 12. Well, yeah. Well, well hold on. You yeah. got, you 10 got and a, a half. Is it 10 and a half or 12 you started? So that's two, 10 and a half or 11 I can work with. Right. 10 and a half to 12, that's too big of a jump. I need a little more accurate than that. Okay. 60 miles an hour at 10.75. Okay. So just <laughs> under 11. Yeah. So I'm going to try to do this one in my head. Sometimes I can come pretty close. I'm going to say you've got a single overdrive 12 speed with like a 0.77 or 0.78 final ratio. I think that would get us pretty close without <laughs> pulling up the calculator. I think I'm going to be pretty close on that one. So the, when you, the words final ratio, what does that mean or mean to me or mean to so, us? So one of the, well, I hate to start to confuse you when you're just starting to try to learn this, but I have to, um, because there's a change for years and years and years. We did all of this work because our goal was to get a truck in direct drive at its cruise speed, because in the old engines and old transmissions, there was a big enough advantage to being in direct. Those old transmissions, when you went to overdrive, the double counter shafts were turning, you were churning all kinds of oil. You lost about 3% of fuel economy to go into overdrive. So in order to gain back that 3%, we would spec a truck to run in direct, which was very unusual. In your case, what we would do is we would wanna know what the, could you have a direct? With those numbers, I don't think so. Not with two eighty five. No, when you were I, I, just your okay. your 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 the speed Over, you spend the most time in. No, to forget over, forget oh, that for a second. Oh, okay, okay. Whatever speed you spend the most okay. time at. My example was I drove fifty seven. Okay. That was it. I knew my speed. It was fifty seven. Yeah. I really never changed it, um, and that worked in a dedicated run. Worked I'm just 65 fine. I'm sixty five at twelve. 
Yeah, the, the, you've got a single overdrive. Okay. Then. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure. But but and that doesn't really tell yeah. us anything yet. Now, what are we trying to mm. accomplish? Well, we're tr- now the change that has happened. The new transmissions don't lose three percent anymore to go into overdrive. It's only about one. Well. Now that 1% isn't enough to, to spend all of our time in direct anymore. That's not the goal now. Now the goal is we can, oh. we can now build a truck. Joel's and Henry's are about Damn. the best example of this. No, they could run in an underdrive oh. gear, a direct gear, or an overdrive gear efficiently. So if Joel wants to run around at 55 to 60, he can do it very, very efficiently in an underdrive gear, if he wants to run and my numbers are going to be like a little, little bit off, but he can come in here and correct all the numbers. If he wants to run, say, 65 to 70 or so, he could do it in direct. But then on those runs where he's got to go faster and it makes sense to go faster, he can do it in that overdrive gear at a very low RPM and still be efficient. That was almost impossible before yeah. we we couldn't spec a truck to run in three gears like that there were several reasons but now that's possible and that gives us a very flexible efficient truck yeah my, my brain where i'm at is my direct 11 oh you're breaking I don't know. you're breaking up so much i'm not clear on what you're saying Oh. Hey, hold, hey um, hold on a second. We're, we're, we're going to yeah. bring, I just looked up at the clock or at the board and we've got Joel and Henry here because we're not going to go to Twitter today. So uh, I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to leave you on and we'll come back to you here in a second. Uh, hey, Henry, okay. you're, you're first up on the board today. Welcome. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Sorry about that last minute change, but technology is not playing nice today. That's all right. I apologize. I got to stop here in a minute to put DEF in the truck. But oh, hearing that. that spec, that it was before. Yeah, it's not like a 285 with a 0.78 overdrive. I I thought. Common. Yeah, I thought I might have been pretty close with that. So, um, all right. So we'll we'll let you just jump out when you need to and jump back in when you can. Uh, Joel, you're with us here this morning. Good morning. Yes, I am. Good morning. All right. So were you listening to the conversation I was just having about yours and Henry's setup, the flexibility of? Yeah. Okay. I I may have been a little off on my numbers. Yeah. So why don't you you kind of explain that concept to him? Sure. sure. You're you're on the right path. The one one thing where we kind of get trapped or we trap ourselves in is where we always just consider gear ratios and speed. The other piece of the puzzle is your gear ratio and power demand or weight or terrain, um, what the power demand is. Correct. So right. not only will those three gears give you the flexibility in terms of speed, they also give you flexibility in terms of power. So, for example, um, if I had an 80-pound load on, it, so we could have overdrive, we could have direct oh. drive, and we can have underdrive. Oh. So if I had 80,000 okay. pounds on, and I'm on perfectly flat ground, and I got a nice tailwind, hey, and I'm hey, say Joel. I'm running 62 Joel. mile an hour. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I mm-hmm. want to make sure that Jeremy, this this he's he's really trying to understand this whole thing, and he's kind of starting at the beginning. So let's answer his question for him, Jeremy. I believe based on your ratios, okay. you do have a single overdrive 12 speed. 
So 12th is the overdrive. What truck are we talking about? That's uh, a, uh, it's a ISA. He's got what, two, what? 285s. Is that a Meritor rear end? It could be a 285. Yeah, like a Meritor rear end. Yeah, and then this is a Cummins. Yeah, it's a Cummins. X15, and then so you've got the endurance 12 speed, correct? Uh, it might be the uh, efficiency, maybe. No, uh, it, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm talking about the oh. transmission. Yeah. So, oh, so yes, it, it that's, most, not, that's one yeah. I haven't looked at. So when you ask so for it's three, probably the endurance 12 speed. Endurance. Yeah, when you ask for three okay. gears, oh, that's a for, for you it's going to be 12th mm-hmm. overdrive, 11 direct, and 10 underdrive. That Those are the three gears we're talking about. Correct. Okay. Okay. Correct. So he has a .77 overdrive. What the important yeah, part of this? That. <laughs> well, here, here's so if you have an engine and it's connected to the axle directly with a drive shaft, that's one to one. That is direct drive. There, there doesn't even need to be a transmission in there. It just be an engine drive shaft right to the back. Very efficient because you don't have a lot of of um, extra gear spinning, a lot of oil churning and whatnot. So that is why it's so called direct to drive. 12? If you win 12 gears, you be 12 to 12? No. No. 12 is no. overdrive, and it is a .77 ratio, so it, it spends, oh, it spends oh, yeah. 30% less. So you're yeah. so you are you're overdriven. That's over one, and then underdrive is I think 1.17 on that transmission, and so then you are that's underdrive. So then you're under one. So if if the ratio is a one point something something, that means you're yeah. under one. And then if it's a point, oh. you know, without a one, a point seven seven, a point seven five, point right. seven three, that means you're over one. So wow, that's, you're over. That's it, it, it is. It, it's back. a little backwards. Oh. Yeah. It, oh. But wow. it, it's not in terms. It's not in terms of speed. So I think that's why they call it yeah. overdrive because you can go faster. In overdrive, underdrive, you go slower, but oh. you apply, yeah, apply yeah. more torque. It, it, one mm-hmm. of one of the things that I've used to help people kind of understand what's happening. H- have you ever driven a ten-speed, thirteen-speed, twenty-one-speed bicycle? Yes. The, the same thing is happening here. You can go right up the side of a building in some of those gears, right? But you can't go very fast, right? When you yeah. get in one of those okay. gears where it's really, really right? easy to pedal. But you can't go. You're pedaling like a right. madman, and you're going three miles an hour. But that helps you get up a hill. That's that's gearing that's doing that. That's an extreme underdrive gear that allows you to go up a big hill on a bicycle. Then when you get on the level so or the flat or a little downhill, and it's really hard to pedal, but you can go really fast, that's an overdrive gear. So these okay. gear ratios are, are what we call they're if it's an underdrive, under one to one, you're multiplying the torque input. So in your example, Kevin gave, as you get down into first, second, or third gear in the bicycle, it's harder than hell to pedal. So that's the force applied, that's torque. You're applying torque to it, and it's being mechanically multiplied. So you can move something or go up a steep hill, but you can't go very fast. So in overdrive, like Kevin said, because now we're reducing torque, so we're reducing that force applied, it's very easy to pedal, and you can go really fast, but you're not going to go up the hill, and you're not going to pull anything heavy. So the gear ratios are actual, 
Well, that's why we have transmissions. That's why you have 12 speed. Right. You're multiplying right. torque to an extreme amount down at the low end. And then as you get closer to direct drive, um, you know, it's, you have less torque applied because you, you simply don't need it once you get the load moving. You need less torque to keep things moving, and that's, that's the whole reason we have a transmission. Then when you come to a hill, then you can drop a gear if needed. That applies more torque. You may not go as fast, but you'll make it up the hill because we're applying more force to the drive shaft, to the back wheels, to get up that hill. So someone said it was kind of high, I, I thought, uh, um, and, and is this a good, is this uh, a decent? So, so here's, here's, here's what you're going to run into. A lot of old school guys are going to tell you that is the craziest thing ever because they were always taught to be efficient, get the truck in top gear and keep it there no matter what. You know, it was all about horsepower and keeping the truck in top gear. And it was a good strategy back in the day because the way we were geared, we didn't have different gears at road speed. So that's what you had to do. You had to get it in top gear and keep it there. It made sense back. Today, we have deeper reduction in the transmission and we have multiple choices at road speed. So what worked back in the day no longer applies anymore and it really throws guys for a loop that were like oh you should have a 355 or a 370 or a 390 ratio that okay. truck will never go up a hill oh, you know that that's what they'll tell you can count them many and, times I've and heard if that. you applied right if you applied the logic that they learned because really essentially it was the only way you could drive a truck you won't go up a hill but you just simply drop a gear and then your final overall ratio changes and you go right up the hill with greater speed and efficiency than the old school setup. And it's with less horsepower because you're optimizing torque instead of horsepower. And in the past, we always optimized horsepower because we didn't care what fuel cost. And we didn't have to catch emissions and we didn't care about, you know, emission yeah. system maintenance costs back in the day. None of yeah. that was ever considered. So it was all horsepower, horsepower, horsepower. I don't care how many RPM the engine's really turning it really doesn't make any difference as long as i've got enough horsepower to get up that next hill without downshifting i've got one hell of a machine you know the sad part about this joel it feels like so, we, we never ever get ahead of the curve i mean we're we're still dealing with people who were taught how to drive mechanical yes. engines when there was yes. no yes. keeping the rpm low you would destroy your engine if you did that we had to run them at high rpm and i think that's part of why yes. We didn't get a lot of good choices yes. on transmissions. Then when they went to electronics and we uh, could run, we, we were kind of stuck with, you know, transmissions that weren't perfect. But we spent all those years trying to convince people overdrive, overdrive, overdrive. It's more efficient. And now we have to start telling them, well, I know we said that, but that's not always the case anymore. <laughs> no, it, it's not. And the the differentiator between overdrive and direct drive, right now I can go down the road at either gear. I have my choice. It's essentially, if I'm under 60,000 pounds, I'm going to be in overdrive. When right. power demand is low, you run in overdrive. When okay. power demand okay. is high, right, you run in direct drive. So if you, if you have an 80,000 pound load and you're in, in you know, significant, significant rolling hills, run it in direct. Yeah. When you're out That's on the flat, doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're out on the flat, run it in overdrive, and I gotta, and you, 
you're going to see a significant improvement in fuel efficiency when you do that. Yeah, I, I tend to do that, you know, especially California where it's light grade and it's 58, I drive yep. 58. But now, does yep. that cause, the, the, when Kevin was talking about uh, it's better to keep the engine hot, does that make it more, does that affect the heat? Does it make it hotter when you're in, uh, in direct drive or, or no? It's just no, so here's, no. here's what happens. So no. when you look at temperature in the engine, so in an old school truck, okay, let's go back to the old school times, you're climbing a hill and you're trying to keep it in overdrive and the temperature's coming up, it's coming up, it's coming up. What do you oh, yeah. do? You downshift and the temperature comes down and everything drops, right? Because you have oh, yeah, higher yeah. piston speed, you're pumping more air through the engine for a given amount of fuel. So it cools things off. And that's how we were taught to do things in the past. Right. And, right. and, you know, it, it, it would increase the old engine's durability. It's just the opposite today. You want that heat because it makes your emission system work better and your combustion becomes much cleaner and you're much more efficient with heat and pressure than you are pumping air through an engine that's actually working against you. And durability has become so so much better that that high heat really doesn't have a big impact on our durability anymore. No, they're, they're engineered for the heat. Today's Today's engines are specifically engineered to take the heat. Back in the day, we were putting extra radiators in, and we were we were doing all this crazy stuff to keep yeah. it as cool as possible. Right. You know, because we didn't care about efficiency. No, we wanted um, performance. You know, it, but, but when you start building higher performance, yeah. you have to worry about heat. Yes, and you know, just something to to think about. And I, I'm hoping this doesn't, you know, kind of go over everybody's head here. I'll try to break this down in the simplest terms. Back in the day when we used to build engines, and let's say we made a 700, we built a 700 horsepower engine. That 700 horsepower never occurred at peak torque. It always was further higher in the RPM range when we were off peak torque. So you could have a 700 horsepower engine, but you were getting the engine due to that horsepower due to piston speed. It was just more RPM. It wasn't because of torque. Today, with a downsped engine, the big difference is that horsepower is a direct result of a force applied. And my fear is is that when people start to tune these downsped engines, the old engines, they never ran at peak horsepower or at peak torque, and they were only dipping down to peak on occasion. Now we're running right at peak constantly, so there's a hell of a lot more stress and strain on the crankshaft on a 700 horsepower downsped engine versus a 700 horsepower traditionally oh, geared yeah. engine. Good point. It's it's mind-boggling the difference on stress and strain that's going to be in that crank. Yeah. So we've got to be very careful when we start to modify downsped stuff because the forces involved there are just mind-blowing. Let's say this, too, because I've warned people good. about this for a long time. Um, I, you know, I talk all the time about having a good shop, mechanics you trust, you have relationships with them. This is about 10 times more important if you're going to let somebody in your ECM to start messing with it because you can't see what they're doing. <laughs> I can see what, you know, if they they don't put my wheel seal in right, I, I'm going to know it. I can see it's mechanical. You have no idea what people are doing on ECMs. I've seen these truck stop tuners where they don't really know how to program these things properly and they start turning off what we call the babysitters so they can accomplish something. 
it, that they're turning off things like your low oil shutdown, your low water shutdown, things that save your engine from yeah. grenading. They're turning them off and you don't know it. Here's the other thing I will say. We've done enough programming on a lot of engines. I am fully convinced there is no reason to go beyond about 600 horsepower if you want efficiency. It just, it, there's no point in it. And, and that changes as you get more and more aggressively downsped. So the reason we needed six or 700 horsepower in the past was we wanted to stay in top gear, right? That's, right. what, we, that, that's right. what the goal was. And you have get to that have truck in top gear, to do that. keep it there, and you need horsepower to do it. That's exactly right. That's exactly you know, right. That's, Not necessarily torque. It's right. horsepower. Right. So when we're downsped, and this is the difference between the Cummins efficiency series and the performance series. The performance series is set up more akin to how we used to do things. Peak horsepower occurs much higher in the RPM range. That takes a boatload of stress and strain off the crankshaft because you're yeah. making horsepower with RPM and not torque. And that's why you see the much higher horsepower ratings on the performance series Cummins. You'll see it out to 600 and something horsepower. It'll say 20, 50 torque or whatever, but you're only hitting that torque occasionally so the Cummins crankshaft can handle that. An occasional bump up against 2050, it's fine. If you take that horsepower and you move it down the RPM range to say where the Volvo's at, 1260, now you are into that, you're, you're into that 2050 constantly and think about what that does to a crankshaft and all the forces involved in that so this is why cummins has a performance series and they have an economy series the economy series on average will be pushing more torque through the drive line than the performance series that has more horsepower and higher torque rating you know what else we talk about all the but time it's lost, becomes... on, it's, it's lost on most people Yes. Even more important in this, and and I, we need to do a roundup of new engines in this issue. The it, the more torque we're putting through an engine like that, you're right. It's hard on the drive line. It's hard on everything. That crankshaft damper becomes critically important. On on specific designs, Correct. you are a hundred percent right. You know, Bruce's recommendation on a downsped Cummins or Packard, if if they're going to downspeed that, is it probably cut it in half because you're putting a hell of a lot more stress and strain on the crankshaft. Wait. But one thing I'll just say really quick in that regard, Cummins and Packard are not aggressively downspeeding, and especially the Packard, they have lighter weight components that are more efficient at higher RPM, and that's kind of where their focus is right. and why you typically don't see them gear. Now, does their engine make 1,850 pound-feet at 900? Yes. Is that engine designed to do it constantly? No. It can touch it on occasion. It'll be just fine. But it's a little happier at higher RPM. I think Detroit has done an excellent job at kind of walking the fence between that. It can run low. It can run high. The Volvo can run very low, but it gets its ass stomped in the, in the ground when you try to run it high. It's just too big and heavy down there to run high. So... Uh, give props to the Detroit people. They've done one hell of a job at, at getting that 
spot on right. Splitting because the difference. Because you can kind of, you can yeah. run that Detroit. Uh, yes, you can run it a little higher and it's it's going to do well. You can run it low and it's going to do well. And Henry's numbers reflect that. You know he he's able to do both of that. I have to have a little more extreme gearing in order to match the efficiency that Henry's getting. You put my gearing in a pack R, and you're most likely going to have a picture window on the side of the block eventually. It's just not going to work. You put pack R gearing in my truck, you're going to get oh. about six miles per gallon. So, <laughs> and it'll be you a really, dog you to really, drive. You, right. yeah, yes. And so you really need to understand the engine architecture. I know we talk about that, and some people tee hee it, but it's extremely important when you're specking a truck to understand how that engine's laid out and then you spec to the strengths of that engine and stay away from the weaknesses and you know so many times they get guys wanting to you know really downspeed an x15 or down down speed speed a pack car and it's it's just not going to work out well yeah it's con- yeah uh, definitely confused you know, uh, I'm, uh, and i'm done yeah. pumping to death which was wonderful but you know hearing this whole <laughs> subject of of how you make the power with an engine up there bite my tongue and engine noise in my phone music. but you know you can take a v-twin motorcycle engine and make the same kind of power you can with an inline four but you're going to gear them mm-hmm. all together different they're going to have a distinctive different sound on the racetrack but there's more than one way to get there that where you're making the power the efficiency the horsepower the torque a V-twin in the motorcycle world has a way different characteristic than an inline four. And sure. I, but yet they're out there on the racetrack together. My, my first coach was a, a 40 foot, pretty good size. I mean, it's long, it was fairly heavy. It had one of the small Cummins. Did they make a 6.7? I don't know why 6.7 sticking in my head. Yeah. Maybe yep, it had yep, the, They did. Yeah. They did. So a 40-foot coach. This is a pickup truck engine. It, they, that's what they put in there. It had 453 gears. They made up for that lack of mm-hmm. engine size and torque and horsepower by just putting, you know, really so, low gears in it. Here's here's the here's the idea behind it. To me, that kind of makes sense. High gear. Well, it, it, it's a high it, it, number, it, well, but it's yeah, a I'm low rate. I know it's a high number, low but it's a low ratio. ratio. Right, it's right. backwards. Yeah, sure. sure. Oh, it's backwards. It's wh- backwards. Why would they do that? Well, the reason they would do that in a coach is they know most people are not going to drive them a lot of miles. They want to get from point A to point B, and it's probably going to set for a month or two months at a time, and it's going to go back. So, yep. you know what? Let's just use a small engine to save a lot of money save a lot of weight, save a lot of space, and we'll put a gear ratio in it that, you know, is going to run it up high RPM range, so it makes horsepower up high, and, uh, and call you, it good. And you, you know, know it, I, it's I, definitely not an efficiency spec. I, I was pretty happy with it. Mm-hmm. For, for what it was built yeah. for, I was pretty oh. happy with it. I didn't care about fuel economy. I don't put enough miles on this. I'm working most of the time anyway, so it's a tax write-off. Um so it, efficiency wasn't a big deal for me. Efficiency isn't a big deal in my coach right now. At, at fifteen or 20,000 miles that I put on it a year, it's not worth it for me to try doing some of these expensive fuel mileage modifications to pick up a half mile per gallon. I'll never make my money back. So, right. when, you know, when I talk right. about how bad my fuel economy is on the coach, people are like, well, you're all about fuel economy. Why don't you fix that? Well, no, it doesn't make sense to fix it. So let me clarify something. Uh, Joel, are you and I really all about uh-huh. fuel economy? 
<laughs> no. Well, we're all I mean, about I, I, the I, bottom I understand line. the importance. It's make it. It's the bottom line of making money. That is right. Correct. So if yeah. I spend too much money to improve my fuel economy, even if I improve it, it may not make sense. No, you're you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's but, something my brother struggled you know, with. Kevin, the fleet situation. Right. But that goes back to a statement I remember the head of validation said at at BTNA, and he said to me, "You know, I could build you the perfect truck." You just couldn't afford it. Absolutely. You know, we (laughs) just think about how light we could build a truck if we start using carbon fiber. It all of a sudden becomes a four hundred thousand dollar truck, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So so in comparison, I don't know if we have enough time on this call, on my call. But in comparison, my last last truck was Detroit. It was a 307, but it only had 10, 10 speed. Mm hmm. And same, same everything else. But so is that not going to be? Obviously, I lost uh, the, the overdrive or the I lost gearing, so I, it's probably more stress on the engine, right? Or, well, not necessarily. Or, the, the steps, the steps on the transmission gears are a little wider. You're actually your overdrive ratio in that ten speed is probably a little bit taller than what the the ratio is in the twelve speed. So. You may be able to actually cruise a little faster speed with a with a ten speed, but with the three hundred seven ratio, that's going to be your your kind of limiting factor. But it still wasn't bad. Your so, your overall no. is going to come in around two sixty four, I think. Let, let me give you an example really? of how I spec. Wait, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I used to always hear you guys say two sixty four. Pretty tall. Yeah. So here here's an example of for me where a ten speed worked really well, and it was all I ever spec for years on my trucks. Remember, it was FedEx. My trucks ran from Orlando to the farthest north they ever really got was Charlotte. Not a lot of hills between Orlando and Charlotte. Um, I even had a truck that ran Orlando to LA. Not a lot of hills on that run either, all the way across the country on 10. So 10 speeds worked just fine for me. I only wanted to run one speed when I drove the truck. It was 57. Hell, a 10 speed was perfect. They're light, they're cheap, they're bulletproof. That was a good use. A yeah. 13 speed would have had zero advantages for me and would have had disadvantages. But that's a very specific use. Correct. The 12 speed that you have now has deeper reduction. So you're going to be able to start probably heavier loads than with your 307 in the 10 speed because the transmission gearing has deeper reduction. Um, you've got a pretty decent uh, overall ratio in that uh, with the overdrive. So you're going to be able to cruise at a respectable speed. Your direct drive is going to be available to you when you need it in a comfortable range. Um, underdrive in that truck at highway speed will be a little iffy. Um, it, it may kick in the ass fuel economy wise, but you'll definitely have two gears available to you. No doubt about that. So you've got a, a fairly efficient setup, um, that you should be able to do very well with. All right. Now I had to cut Jeremy loose. We've got a ton of calls piling up on us, but I'm going to do something I don't normally do. You, you guys ready for this? I've got breaking news. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I'm not a news guy. Oh, gosh. I've got okay. breaking news. Oh, I've no. always wanted to say this. I, I think this is actually pretty big huh? if, it, if it happens, but this is the first step towards it. Um, the Teamsters just authorized the strike of UPS. 
Wow. 90, well, see what happens with that. Ninety-seven percent of the members voted to strike. Ninety-seven percent. Wow. Three three hundred and forty. Three hundred and forty thousand workers. The largest single employer strike in U.S. history. So, UPS drivers would kind of just look at every other driver on the road and go, yeah, peasant, you know, they they made good, good money (laughs) at one point, you know, but with all the raises everybody else has gotten, they're kind of, that's kind of hurting their pride a little bit, I think. So that does not surprise me at all. That does not surprise me. You know, one of the things. They're looking for more money. They like that separation out there. You know, one of the things Mm -hmm. UPS gave in on, they're going to put air conditioning in the package cars. I, I saw that. I saw an article first time ever that they're going to yeah. have air conditioning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't want to pay you anymore, but we'll, we'll, we'll give you some air conditioning. Usually... The doors are open all day. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, that's what I'm thinking. They sit next to an open door. <laughs> and it's I, like convertible. I have look, an air conditioner running, you know. And I'll yeah. tell you this. I, I know what those routes are like. Some of those guys do 100 stops a day. But most of those guys that do 100-plus stops, 40 of them are in the mall where they only park once. And then they just hand truck stuff around, them, you know, 30 stops while they're at the mall. But here's the thing. You do that kind mm-hmm. of work. The last thing I wanted was air conditioning. If it's hot out, I'd rather just yeah, be hot all yeah, the time than being hot get, and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. Holy yep. cow. Yeah, just just stay yeah, hot. I, I don't disagree with you. Really, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> You're not going to melt. Although some of those I, I, UPS I, drivers might I, melt. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't Shit. see how that's going to that that whole thing. When I heard that on the package cars, I'm like, everyone I see, they have the door. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, bolt doors. Yeah, yeah. So, but hey, but I, Kevin, I, 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 um, I, I I have. I, I don't even know what to call them, kind of nightmares, but it, it always worked out really well in the end. I went through two UPS strikes while I was at FedEx. Or RPS, we were still RPS back then for both of them. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable what that what happened. I, I was the only contractor yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the Akron terminal, and the Akron terminal Brother, was maybe... I- Feel your pain on that. Oh, the Akron Terminal, the building, I was, I was same thing. Was, was maybe four thousand mm-hmm. square feet. We probably had twenty-five or thirty package cars that ran out of there, and I was the only line haul contractor. I had two trucks, and I rented the yard tractor to do some of the local P and D and trailer spots. So I, I was pretty busy. Um, I moved a lot of freight in and out of there. I did all the tractor P&D work, and I did all the line haul moves between Akron and Columbus and back. And that's not very far. It's only 280 miles round trip, but there was a lot. And then that's Mm -hmm. just normal. When this hit, and the first time it hit, RPS did not turn down anybody. People who had never shipped with us before didn't matter. They took every package somebody would give to them. And at some (laughs) point, we could not get inside the building anymore. We had packages everywhere. (laughs) I went and rented trailers. No, we we didn't get approval through FedEx. I was using my tractor with rented trailers, and we were, I was renting trailers for storage. I was using trailers, my trailers, to run packages down to the, 
to this. <laughs> this went on for like two weeks. I thought I was going to die. I threw my logbook out the window. Forget That's that. We're, we're just, I, I was doing on the on the weekends. I would do three back to back rounds from Akron to Columbus to try to get caught up. So two hundred and eighty mile round trips. I was doing three of them back to back on the weekends. It was insanity. Then gotcha. the next time, RPS got a gotcha. little smarter, and they, when UPS started talking about strike, like about this time, Fed or RPS went to all their customers and said, "You have until this date to start an account, and after that, we won't take any new packages or new accounts." And that helped some, but it was mm. still a nightmare. I, I can't imagine what's going to happen to gotcha. the post office and and FedEx if UPS goes on strike. <laughs> No kidding. Wow. When Uh, when does this go into effect that they're parking? I'm not sure. I've been keeping an eye on this, but I don't remember all the dates, and I just saw this. I mean, it was just announced at like 9 o'clock, so I haven't had time to read this. Yeah, did you hear about that? Did you hear about that new company, Henry and Joel's LTL service? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be open soon. That's right. I'm looking for opportunity and looking at the windshield to see what Brown can do for me. Oh, man. There you go. (laughs) Well, you know what? Here's here's something else we should think about. Um, any, Any disruption in trucking affects almost every other segment at least a little bit and sometimes a lot when the remember when the oil fields were booming all of a sudden rates went up everywhere else well why well because so many trucks went to the oil field now it's supply and demand you don't have enough trucks again so now we take three hundred and forty thousand workers i I have Uh, to believe most of those are drivers yes right Yes. That's yes. a lot of now capacity you're off the street. Now you're taking a ton of capacity Holy out of the shit, that's, yeah. That's going to be good for rates, yeah. Yes, it that is. That will be great for rates, now, there's no doubt. Now, here's... The, there's here, no doubt. Here's what's just making me a little crazy about this. I, I'm, most of the time, I would say this is awesome. I think the timing right now sucks. I, I like when this kind of stuff happens, but here's why I think the timing mm-hmm. sucks. We're way overdue for the shakedown. We thought it should have been coming 17, 18. It didn't happen. ELDs interfered. Then, then yeah, COVID this, interfered. This could push it off, yeah. And that, it's, it's going to yeah. happen again. We, we've got a bunch of carriers yeah, that, that are t- hanging on by their fingernails right now. And we, yep, need, we yep, need them this out. Will, this will save them. This is yes. going to save them. Yeah. Yep. And this is going to save them. Yep. And it's going to prolong the agony. You're it, exactly right. It's almost you're, like you're. we can just never get to the bottom this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! That is something else. You know, it feels like yeah. We're being, there you go. It feels like we're being waterboarded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> potentially. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> oh, just let's get it over with. Oh, you know, rip the damn bandaid off and let's yep. get this thing over with. Oh, that's yeah. where I am with a lot of things like that. Yeah. yeah. Little by little by little by little. Nope. Oh. Nope. Rip De- the hey, I got, off. Death by a thousand I cuts got, is I what it feels like. Both, I've got something both death you guys will, <laughs> will enjoy or appreciate, I think. What's that? 
do you know how we, we always talk about the accuracy of the dash and calibrating the dash and making sure everything's accurate? Yeah. And I don't know if Henry has the setting inside his truck, but I was given a, a high-resolution view. And this is kind of funny. They actually go by feet. They don't go by miles on the high-resolution. And so the guy I was talking to said, if you're anywhere close on this high-resolution view, you're the man, okay? So he gave me the cluster, and I have 291,996,874.855 feet in the cluster. <laughs> That's how far the tra- truck has traveled. So in my J1939. My head. In my J1939, I have 291,996,858.481 feet. And. Over that, yep. di- the difference is 16.374 feet. Wow. So they think I am the man when Boy, it comes you to dialing trucks. <laughs> Holy cow. Hey, he, he, hey. Said, he said there's no way that's right. He said, do it again. I've done it again. He's like, holy shit. Yeah, so, well, well, so I was kind of proud of that. <laughs> well, well, you should be proud. But, you know, once you get through your moments of pride there, you need to step up your game and we need to start measuring this in inches. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. You know, I'm going to say congratulations and, well, bless your heart at the same time. Exactly. Oh, shit, man. 16 feet out of 291 million. million. We're doing all right. That's insane. Holy cow. So some of... Some of that, when you're setting the revs per mile and stuff, it really is kind of just by feel. You've done it so many times, and you do the math, and you're like, nah, it needs to be a smidge this way or that way. And, and uh, boy, we got this son of a bitch dialed on Oh, you're on tight. not kidding. Very, Holy very cow. tight. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty I, – I had I had to share that. I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, next week I wanted that, an inch. That inches. is cool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take some calls. Yeah, then they'll be moving to a quarter of an inch. <laughs> millimeters. <laughs> we'll, we'll switch to metric and we'll go to millimeters. Yeah, yeah. No, there, no, there no, you go. No, 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 no. Kevin, Kevin. Right. No, we gave them the soda bottle. We're keeping the rest in inches and SAE. Got, got it. All right. <laughs> there there uh, you go. Yeah. Let, they, they got the soda bottle and the leaders on the engine. We gave them that one too, but let's not confuse this. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I will say, I've always said, they, they started to, Joel, you probably experienced this too. We both went to school in Ohio. Wasn't it like third or fourth grade they were going to convert to metric and we started to learn it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the metric system and the Dewey Decimal system all in the same year. We had. To, I remember that. That was that was hell. That was yeah. hell. Yeah, it was. Now I will say that by far, hands down, the metric system is about a thousand times better. I mean, it's just ours is so stupid. It makes me crazy. It probably is, but I slept through the Dewey Decimal and the metric system. <laughs> well, I here's, tell you a damn thing about either one. Here's what I was going to say. I'd actually like to move to the, des- the, the, the uh, metric system in almost everything, even tools. What the hell? 5 sixteenths, 7 sixteenths, 9 sixteenths, 11 30 seconds? What the hell? How do I? Yeah. Which one's, which one's yeah, bigger? They're, which they're... one's smaller? It, you know, after a while, you get to know because you do it so much. But on the surface... 
That, that's just yep. a stupid system. No, a 10 was too small. <laughs> yeah, it must be an 11. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. But exactly. The, the, the one thing Henry the just thing mentioned like about the S- that they changed that I wish they yeah. wouldn't have, it was much more fun talking about 351s and 427s and 454s and 283s. I, uh, yeah, a, yeah. a five liter? On displacement. Oh, yeah. please. That's boring. That's, yeah, that's that's for wimps. Five it's, liters? Come on. Yeah, yeah, what's I mean, that? Come on. You can say 454 or, or you can say 7.4 liters. Yeah, right. Like, mm-hmm. come yeah. on. It's just or, not. Or I think. Mm-hmm. Or, right. Or, or it's in not, Pontiac, it's, you can it's say not, a 389 tri power or <laughs> yeah, yeah. 7 liters. <laughs> right. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be much more fun uh, to talk? Aren't our engines like 900 and some cubic inches? Well, we yeah. should start doing that. I know we should. We should. Could, everybody should you know, go figure out you what know, their cubic inches do, on your engine. We'll you, start using that. Do you know how many people will be shocked when they do that on a 12 V71 Detroit, a big burly 12 cylinder? <laughs> They're going to be shocked when they find out the actual or, displacement. I know it'll be hilarious, but or we could do this. <laughs> why, why don't we do what we did with motorcycles? We'll measure them in cubic cc's or cubic centimeters cc's. There you go. Now they'll really there sound impressive, right? Yeah, then you get, then you've got a really big one, right? Oh, yeah. That's right. Breaking news for you, Kevin. Breaking news. Uh oh. I, I I am being passed by UPS. <laughs> He's, he's he's on his way home to get a Getting beer. home before the strike. <laughs> That's right. He's, yep. he's heading yep. for the house. <laughs> and Careful, he's going to talk. And he's, he's running gonna... about 72. He's going to toss his golden toothpick out the window at you. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and he's pulling uh, a rental trailer. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, that'll have to go on the strike. Yeah, you can't do rental trailers. Come on. Yeah. There's this... got to be. They got to be UPS trailers, no rental trailers. Yeah, you know, Joel, you you <laughs> would you would appreciate this again because we both were driving in Ohio back in the you know eighties, and Ohio is mm-hmm. a pretty big union stronghold. Um, the union oh, carriers yeah. and LTL dominated that whole market. I mean, it was Yellow and Roadway and CF and UPS and ah. it, it on and on and on. Yep. It was all union and I was doing P&D work. So you're into the same docks with these guys every day. And yep. we were the, we were yep. the ah. scum non-union guy. There was overnight. Yes. Uh, yes. Overnight was non-union. Uh, Spartan, which I was with, was non-union. RPS was non-union. But I was into the same stuff. And I, yeah, I made friends with these guys. We would joke around with each other. But they had an attitude about it in the beginning. Yep. I uh, done the same thing when I worked with Balkmatic. I was in the terminal down in Cleveland at the, the flour mill down in the flats. And it, the flour mill was union. All the drivers down there were <laughs> right. union. And I was the only guy down there that was at union. And I, I remember this just like it was yesterday. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, there was big talk about strike at Balkmatic. Oh, and man. they had oh. a union rep come down into the terminal. And I'm standing in the in the loadout room where they load the flour. And this guy walks in with this goon that was eight foot tall, knuckle dragon, son of a bitch. I mean, he was huge. <laughs> that dude looks at me, that union rep, and he goes, 
409, right? I said, yeah, 409. <laughs> <laughs> and he just laughed. I don't know what the hell. I thought I was going to die. I thought, oh, oh man. fuck, here we yeah. go, man. He is going to yeah. kill me. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I saw, cause I, <laughs> but yeah, I got out of there and then I kind of transferred up to Euclid and got out of there for a while things cooled down and then I went back they thought, yeah, it's a good idea to get you out of there. So you know, there, there was another time. And, and again, I, I never had to deal with any kind of violence. I didn't have anybody really give me a hard time, but, but it was, it, the, the issue was always there. It was always slightly uncomfortable. There was a, a teamster strike while I was doing all the Spartan stuff. So this is not RPS it was general freight, LTL freight, Spartan was a mm-hmm. part of roadway, but it was a non-union all independent contractor. And the Teamsters mm-hmm. went on strike. So it was all of those LTL companies, Yellow, Roadway, CF, all of them were on strike at one point. And one of my big accounts was Hoover, vacuum cleaners in Akron. And all mm-hmm. the LTL companies were big in there too. All of us pulled a trailer load or more a day out of that place. It was a big account. Well, they went on strike. So guess who got all the freight? somebody's got to pull it. I went and rented like five trailers and I went down to Kent State University Uh in Akron and I started recruiting college kids to stand at the dock and load these trailers for me so I could run them back and forth to the terminal. I made a hell of a lot of money. Man, I made a hell of a lot of money doing that. I, I can imagine. I got a question I, I for you, Ben. You said you were friends with the, the overnight drivers. They must have been some really bad desperados because there's still signs about them around. And I see them all the time where it says no overnight parking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had to be some kind of characters to have that many signs around the country that say no overnight parking. Actually, the one overnight driver that I've was never re- seen one say. The one overnight driver that was a really good friend of mine was kind of a wild man. So you might be onto something here. <laughs> I've never funny. seen a sign that said no Albert transport parking. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yes, you are. All right. Let, let's get to some calls. Let's go to Kansas. Neil, welcome to the program. Hey, give me just a second. Sit at my desk trying to do payroll here. Um, you know, I was listening to you talking about people getting in, you know, while we're on the bottom of the economy and all that. Yeah. And I kind of disagree where you're, I mean, I do and I don't. A lot of people do. You want to get some knowledge. I think they should jump in then. And I'm more in favor of jumping in first feet first with, you know, a ten fifteen thousand dollar truck and make all the mistakes in the world. You know, Um, I think that's, the best way to learn. I, I agree. And, and when I say jump in, I, I really try to clarify each time you better have a rock solid bulletproof plan. And that's part of my motivation for mm-hmm. starting at the bottom. It, it, it doesn't allow me not to. I mean, if I don't have a rock solid plan, I start at the bottom. I'm not going to make it long at all. And you have to realize that. And I try to tell people we need to do. We're going to make some mistakes, but we need to make sure we minimize those mistakes. We need to learn from other people's experience, do the right things. You're still going to make mistakes, but we need to make sure we don't make a big enough mistake that it puts us out of business. And there is a lot more risk starting at the bottom. In the beginning, there's a lot more risk, but I think the worst risk 
is what's just happened in the last three years. The guys who bought in at the top, top of the rates, top of the equipment prices, and they are in so much trouble now, and they don't have a clue how to get out of trouble. You know, though, but I think it's more important. I think the information in the plan is somewhat important because it'll change as you go. But your goal, your grit, your desire, how much you want it and what you want and where you want to get to. I agree. Because you can overcome a lot of that. And, and you know you what? Have that, you bring up a good point. There's, you know, I, you there. I don't know how to teach that either. I can teach the strategies. I can teach the tactics. You should have this kind of a plan. You should use this kind of tactics. I can do that all day long. I don't know how to teach people what you're describing. I, to me, they either have it or they don't. I, I don't know how to create it. Yeah, you're 100% right. You either have that or you don't. You either love it or you don't. And you either have that, that work ethic where you're just going to grind, grind, grind no matter what, or you don't. Right. And most people don't. I, it, you know, it's just just a fact. Most people don't. It, and ultimately, That's my favorite coffee cup failure is not an option. Yeah. Ultimately, if if you're not one of those people that either have that or figure out how to develop it in yourself, you're probably always going to struggle in business, no matter when you get in. Yeah, this is true. Yep. I mean, I started in the bottom, and I think it was great. No eight, no nine. I mean, it was insane. Congratulations. But, you know, it gives you a perspective. gives you a perspective now where it's like, you all think this is bad. This wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. You are so, so spot on. It's, I, I had a, a post up on Facebook where I was just talking about how I, I do some power only work for Snyder when I'm not running my dedicated stuff for my direct customers. And, you know, every time you mention Schneider, you just get all this blowback from people. So I never mention rates. I never talk about rates. And I get this one guy he said, oh, so you're hauling for $1.50 a mile. I said, never said that. I said, oh, so you're hauling for $1.75 a mile. I said, never said that. <laughs> so what I done is I went into their load board. I done a search and I just screenshot the load board. I said, I'm not on any of these loads, but here are the first rates that popped up in the area that I'm in. And they were between $2.90 a mile, and they went down to $2 that, a mile. And there was, I don't know, four a, or five loads up there. That's a hell of a for, rate. For, for power only, yeah. it, it, it's not bad, right? Yeah, you so can, then he comes back and goes, well, that's not $3 a mile. Oh. I never claimed it was $3 a mile. And I said, you know, if you can't make money, and you're not going to get filthy, stick, and rich, but you can certainly make money at, you know, two twenty-five, two fifty a mile pulling their trailer, and they're doing all the work. Yeah. And it's dropping hook? Right. But unless. What the hell? I, I, I see some of these guys who claim their cost is $1.80 a mile. How is that even possible? Well, that, that may. Listen, that may be because I see these big W9s that guys were paying, you know, $325,000 for that are getting three and a half miles to the gallon. Now they're pissed <laughs> off at me because I'm running freight for $2.20 a mile and they're going bankrupt. But they're mad at me. You're on a cheap freight. Well, you got a stupid truck. Exactly. I'm handling people here, but their their cost is probably because they're going into dealerships for 
all their maintenance and paying two hundred and some odd dollars an hour plus you're, you're right. thirty it, bucks an hour in shop supplies. It, it's and, everything across the board. Well, yeah. They they bought their equipment wrong because they don't understand equipment cycles. They bought the wrong truck because they don't think specking the truck matters at all. They they don't think fuel mileage matters. So they end up with the wrong truck. They probably financed it at a rate that was way too high and financed it for too long. And that all adds to their cost. And then you're right. They they go back to the they don't build a relationship with anybody for maintenance. They just stop at random dealers, get lousy service and pay too much for it. And things break again. We could just go on and on and on. There's probably 50 things they're all doing wrong, but it's the broker's fault. Yeah, but I'll, I'll cut well, my cost well enough. Subject, you can oh, take money at two twenty a mile on your own authority, pulling your own trailer, and paying the insurance, <laughs> and still you, you, there's money to be made there. That's correct. It may not be what you <laughs> wanted to make, but that's, that's correct. Yeah, I, I I just I get a kick out of these guys. You know, the second you mention a mega carrier, they oh. get all bent out oh. of shape. That's I, the I, root I, of all evil, and. They're just bastards, and, you know, they're, they they screw the market up, and I'm thinking, how? So I just went through I, this. I, I told my— Trade out there, then we can possibly all. I, I, I told <laughs> my— I don't really never read oh. the, their I, quarterly reports from a mega carrier. I, I told, what they're actually charging. I, I told my one of my favorite stories of the driver who came to me as a lease purchase. We did his accounting, found out he's making 13 cents a mile. Um Worked with him, got it, got him to just get rid of it, step away from that thing, go get a job for right now, get caught up on some money. Then let's go look for the right truck. And my direct recommendation for this guy specifically, let's go look for the truck. Let's put it on with Landstar. So I'm telling the story the other day and I got blasted by the same group. Landstar, the biggest scumbag, double brokering, dirtbag <laughs> company in the world. Oh. That Landstar? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, Shit. they ignored They ignored the end of the story that the guy now went from 13 cents a mile on a lease purchase to his own authority, his own equipment, his own customers. And he's, you know, into six figures now, net. So what was the problem with using Landstar as a stepping stone to get there? Uh, yeah. Or just, what's wrong with or what's wrong with like a lot of contractors that I know that have been at Landstar for 3 or 4 decades. There must be a reason. There must it, be a reason Landstar it, at it, one point had single digit turnover when everybody else was near 100%. I think the I, right I person you, Kevin, if, if I wasn't on my own authority or something happened with that, that's exactly where I would be at Landstar. I've said I, I, that for years. That's I, my plan B. So, look, I, you don't have to. It, it doesn't have to be a love fest about Landstar. It's just another company. It's just another tool. They, I believe they have a very unique model that, that fits in a lot of ways. It's a great company to be. But to, to this whole thing, oh, the worst double brokering scumbags. Come on. Give me a break. We're all just people. It, you know, <laughs> you know? It, it, it all boils down to attitude. It, it, it really does. There are people out there that no matter what opportunity you set in front of them, they're going to find a reason why it sucks, it's wrong, it's bad. You know, and, and I think maybe in a way they're just justifying their own failure. They have to blame it on somebody else. You know, oh, they screwed me and that's yeah, why I went right. out of business yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
whatever the case may be. I can guarantee you that I can walk into any one of these mega carriers and work off their load board and I'll make money. Absolutely. Schneider's Choice Program is not that different than Landstar's program. They've got an awesome setup over there. Lots of flexibility. You can do all kinds of different things with them. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with building a business model on that at all. And you start to make relationships with their in-house, what they call brokers, or right. they're, they're people that help you find loads and just, it works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is something I do part time, <laughs> and and it took me about two weeks to figure out. Okay, this is how this system works. So we're out here kicking it. They're calling us all the time when I'm under yeah. my own freight, going, "When are you getting uh, back? Uh, we we got this and we got that." And I'm here, like, "Oh my gosh, come yeah. on! They're throwing stuff at me. It's nuts." Here's the other thing that needs to stop because I think some of these knuckleheads don't even understand the difference when they start screaming double brokering. 90% of what they're talking about is really co-brokering, which is completely legal. True, true double brokering does happen, you know and it is illegal, and I'd like Kevin, to stop it, too, because it hurts Kevin, all of us. Go ahead. Kevin, I could really, I could really care less. If that <laughs> rate is what I need to make money, I don't care if exactly. a thousand people that, brokered it. That, I, I don't <laughs> care if a broker made $10,000 off it. What right. the hell do I care? Right, but as they, long as I make what I need I don't care. They scream about I really don't. double brokering as it's a problem. It's really not. Double, true double brokering, illegal double brokering is. But but what they don't understand, sure. that involves a carrier. It's a carrier doing that. Co-brokering is completely legal, happens all the time. And I don't care that they, like you said, I don't care if there's five brokers here. All I care about is will I accept the, what they're willing to pay or what I can negotiate for? And if not... Go find another load. No, oh, it doesn't really matter. They're just going to factor it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, Neil, what else? Well, you got? I, I can't stand any of that stuff where you go into victimhood. That, that's exactly right. I think that's but, about it. I'm, I'm just sitting here in my air-conditioned shop that we built. There you Waiting go. For the garage. <laughs> well, our new old red door keeps breaking. It's stuck open, so I'm stuck babysitting it. Uh, yeah, good luck getting service. We were planning on a three-day weekend. No, they actually said they'll be here at one. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I got another hour. Oh, there you go. Uh, All right, that makes enjoy. Like the package car, doesn't it, Kevin? Yeah. Air conditioning yeah. shop with the door open. To, like, <laughs> the package car. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's grab another call. Let's go to... Texas. Fred, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, one, I want to put out one thing with, I'd say 90% of the guys, 95, 99% of the guys who listen to the show or who are in the tribe, they can just call a dealer and find out their transmission number and their rear end ratio. And then they can look on the Eaton or, or the, uh, yeah, whatever trans probably eaten and find out their 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 overall ratios on the transmission. It's very simple. Yeah, that's a. I that, mean, when you're driving a, a truck like I do with with 16 different types of things that were never made for the truck, it's different. But everyone's driving a pretty much a cookie cutter factory truck nowadays, so that's the easiest way to do this for everybody listening. Yeah, if you need to get a transmission ratio, you can call. So, um, good advice. Yeah. What, what else you got? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I just want to clarify, Joel. Are you saying that a six and a four with a KTA and a three eleven, a four eleven rear is no good for today's trucking? There are probably there are probably better <laughs> choices out there. <laughs> That's my, uh, I, I garden in that truck. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, it uh, does, it does make you more of a man. I mean, if you got a twin stick or something like that, you're much more manly, I guess. That's what I hear anyway. So there you go. Well, yeah, if you need testosterone supplement, there you yeah. go. There you go. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> no. I just, I just read something I else. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, no, we're in real trouble. Uh-oh. We're going to, we're, we're going to go from well, uh, Kevin. What, what kind of fraudulent BS are you pushing today, Kevin? Well, hold Talk on. Hold on, I'm about to. We're, we're going to jump from twin sticks and KTAs and 453 gear ratios to uh, Mercedes announced the integration of chat GPT into their cars. I cannot believe how fast this is happening. <laughs> wonderful. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> so when you don't make your car payment, it can lock you in the car, drive you to the dealer, <laughs> and, 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 you all and make you pay up. That's, that's exactly that's right. right. Oh, man. Oh, oh you know, shit. That, that is, that's going to put the repo guys out of business. No doubt. Uh, it's going to put a lot of people out. Yeah, it is. Man, we're going to be just setting out on the freaking soup line, and uh, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be crazy. I'm wondering so, what the hell I, I'm going to do with chat GPT in my car. Uh, wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. But, you know, listening to the show for a while, there's a few things I want to touch base on. Air conditioning. All right? We were talking about UPS and air conditioning. When I first started in this business, I was driving trucks with no air conditioning. When I said that to my grandfather, he said, honey, you got air conditioning. It's any old condition. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, But anyway. I I remember on strikes, uh, being from New York City. Oh, yeah. I remember on Mythbusters, they they tried to bust the myth of did it. Now, they did this in a car. Um, Did the air conditioning hurt your fuel economy more or did it hurt more to roll down the windows and screw up your aerodynamics? And my thought roll was... Roll down the windows, it hurt I, more. I, yeah. My thought was, who cares? It's a car. You're already getting 30 or 40 miles a gallon. Turn on the damn air conditioner if you want it. Yep. 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 If you want to use it. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There was a lot of times I, I uh, was asked to cross picket lines in New York City on striking. I never did. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough position to be in. It, it is. but my, and, and I grew yeah, up in the Europe. I, I mean, I, hey, hey uh, Joel, you know those, um, like the big uh-huh. thug guy, the union enforcers? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. They, uh-huh. Some of those guys used to hang out at our house. I mean, my my dad was pretty well connected in the union, and my brothers and my brother-in-laws and my uncles, and they were all in the Teamsters. And some of those guys, I used to sit around yeah. and listen to some of those stories. That stuff happened. Uh, that, that that stuff really. Uh, no, went I, on. I know. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's what's uh, in yeah, my yeah. union, de- union delegates. Yep, union yeah, delegates. That that's that's what's on my mind when I'm now 22 years old and I see this opportunity in front of me. And <laughs> and here here's my take. I'll be totally honest with about it. I, I've said forever, 
I think unions should exist. If people want them to exist, they should exist. If you want to join one, you should join one. You get those benefits every day. We know what they are. You get paid way better than I do. You have more opportunities. You have more benefits. You got all kinds of things. That was your choice. The other part of that is that you will eventually strike to get your way. I don't get those benefits every day. I'm out here busting my ass, jumping in and out of my truck and running up to the dock because that's how I have to make money. So, yeah, when you go on strike, I'm crossing the line. Sorry. Yeah. Somebody's yeah, going to service just, that You know, customer. you never know what's, what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen, though, at, at times, and especially in the Youngstown area back in the day. Oh, <laughs> Youngstown I, and Cleveland. But the only I, place that may have been worse was New York City. I mean – them uh, are yeah. three of the union, Philadelphia maybe too, but damn it, you, you were, yeah, you were taking chances every time you done that. We had a, well, we had yeah, a, what happened would be they they would they would recognize your truck and then they'd get you later on. We had a uh, that's yeah. how that went. Yeah, I pulled into a yard one night with FedEx and well, it was RPS still, and I was dropping and hooking and the it's one of the smaller satellites, so it's closed at night and you got the gate keys and you get in and you swap your trailers and you leave and another driver pulled in and we were just talking and the that was during the strike and we were talking about stuff we're walking around and he comes he says hey you got to come and look at this he said i did a good pre-trip this was not here he had a bullet hole in his trailer he said it wasn't there at the beginning of the trip yeah yeah i I, that that stuff happened on a fairly regular basis in the middle 70s yeah it did my dad had you know, just a few trucks servicing his own customers. And the last big strike that I can remember when I was real little, you know, he was like, man, I don't know if we should run the trucks up. We had customers in Akron and we had customers in Detroit. And he's like, I don't know if we should, we should run up there. And, and, uh, they decided to go up and they were going to go up at the middle of the night and going through Toledo before they had the big high level bridge crossing the river. He had all those little bridges that you had to go under, and uh, somebody took pop shots at him going yeah. <laughs> underneath yeah. those little bridges going up there because they didn't want him on the road. So, yeah, yeah. in the 70s, yep, that violent, shit happened on violence, a regular basis. Yeah, violence was pretty common. Yep, yep. What else you got, Fred? Yeah, but also, also to answer Jeremy's question, the amount of gears in the transmission doesn't really, like you were trying to explain to him, Joe, doesn't really lessen or make the transmission faster or slower there's bigger jumps between gears so it affects the performance of the truck but the ratios could be the same on the bottom and uh, well the top anyway the bottom maybe not Mm -hmm. but so Mm -hmm. so that's you know so having a 10 speed to a 12 speed to a 15 speed or an 18 speed your gears are closer together so you're you know your you know your truck's not working maybe as hard to get to the top gear but it's not it's not a different overall. So one of the things, right, right. One of the things that you really have to understand on that with gear spacing is the torque rise capacity in the engine. Engines that have right. good, strong torque rise, they don't need those baby steps. That's those were originally envisioned to help a really wimpy two-stroke engine get up a hill. Yeah, uh, right. for the most part. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but, Remember when Mac did it with a five-speed? Yeah, right. Yeah, that was a bulletproof first truck, a 237 up, with a five-speed. First, they put up a big enough cloud of smoke in between the gears. There was milk tankers around where I grew up that had it, that the <laughs> trailer disappeared every time they shifted the gear <laughs> into a cloud. But it was a different time.
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What, what I always find unique on that subject with the amount of transmissions in a gear, I listen to this Jay Leno episode about the older cars, and it was considered the more, less gears a car had, the more luxurious it was because it meant the car had enough power that it didn't need to be shifting all those gears. Now today they're putting 10-speed transmissions in a pickup truck, in a half-ton pickup, which is, just seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, other than that, just wanted to check in, see how everything's doing. I haven't been on in a while. Uh, I've been kind of just busy trying to juggle between personal and, and work. I, but I'll tell you what, rates-wise, rates have rates have definitely fallen. Everybody knows that. But I just took a load out of uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, down to Houston, that paid me $2.11 a mile with a classic truck. I made there, money. Uh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait Wait a second. That wasn't $3 a mile. Why'd you even start it? Come on. I, I, you, know, I, you know, Joe, I just, I said I was going to stay in Morgantown, West Virginia, but then I forgot I didn't lose anything there. So I had to leave. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, I'm sure. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure the broker's getting five bucks a mile for that thing. Oh yeah, well, definitely. Listen, Kevin, yeah. he might, he yeah. might be getting. I thought he was getting like like twenty twenty two thousand for the load, and he only wanted to give me three. <laughs> well, that, that I've, I've, yeah, I've seen numbers like that thrown around yeah, too. That son of a bitch. Yeah. That son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, look, look. It, let's say let's say we knew this. Let's say the broker did get the kind of money they're talking about. Well, the first thing yeah. I'd be doing is beating on that shipper's door. Go get that freight yep. then. If it pays that much, just but, go get it yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. I'll so, tell you what. You know, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. My thought here is, look, a broker's in business to make money. I, We're in business <laughs> to make money. It's what they're supposed to do. It's what we're supposed to do. It's how you handle that relationship. And when you treat people respectfully, you know, I, this guy was trying everything he could to get me to throw off on Schneider on Facebook. I, there's no way in hell I'm going to throw off publicly on a customer. I won't throw off privately on a customer. Yeah, why You know, you if I've got an sense. issue, I call him up and I say, hey, look, I've got an issue here. What can we do? How can we fix this? Maybe we can, maybe we can't. But you think I'm going to get out? That, that is a customer of mine. I am not getting on Facebook and going, oh, these rotten son of a bitches had a 95 cent a mile load. Even though I, there was six others that were at $3 a mile, that 95 cent a mile load, they need to go to jail for that or something. Well, I don't know. I don't understand it either. I, I see freight going to the same place, and it goes from, Three dollars a mile down to fifty-eight cents a mile, and I can't, I can't make heads or tails of that. But you know, it it all depends so, on how where you need to go and how and how much it costs you to run. But half these guys, they don't understand how much it costs them to run. So I got into this discussion That's the exactly other day. Right. I, I posted the concept of, and I tried to keep it really generic in the beginning so people would get it. I, I, I've been saying this for so long. I don't remember where I learned this. I didn't come up with it myself. It seems so simple, but very few people focus on this. The way to be successful in business, any business, I don't care what it is. One thing you do will always ensure your success if you succeed at doing it. Your focus should be on providing more value to your customer than anybody else can. 
whatever that means, and it could mean a thousand that's right. things. That's the challenge. But if you can figure out how to do that, you will always be successful. You'll always get paid more. So now the thing is, then this is where they so, get all screwed up because I say now you have to identify your customer. And we don't do that very much in this industry. And I, I said, here's the clue. We don't do it's, it at all. Right. It's who pays you. That's always your customer. Yeah. The first comment was bullshit. That broker's not my customer. The shipper yeah, right. or the receiver is. Well, right. good, good luck because right. you have no relationship <laughs> with your customer then. It, 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 and, and listen, the reason most most shippers don't want to deal with truck drivers is because of our stinking attitude. They don't want to deal with that. So they're willing to pay somebody money to deal with that. Just, just right. So, right. Exactly. So you know what I, what I tell people when, when, when guys are talking to me, like when I was leased, uh, leased onto a carrier and stuff like that, and they come over to me, they say, how is that carrier? I say, they're good. I said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't go in there with a list of no's. And what I mean by that is, no, I don't go here. No, I don't do that. No, I don't. <laughs> go in there and say, I am here to help you succeed. And I, they, they look at me like I'm crazy. You know the answer yeah, I get to that amazing. every time? When I say th when I say things like that, there are immediate responses. You'll just get taken advantage of everywhere. You know, I've been doing this for about forty years, and I don't ever feel like I've been taken <laughs> advantage of yet. I keep waiting for that to happen. It's absolutely it's absolutely amazing. So, like we know that if you're in Ohio, Ohio, if you take Columbus, Ohio, and you draw a three hundred mile circle around Columbus. 85% of the manufacturing in the United States happens within that circle. Yeah. So generally rates are always pretty decent in my area. And when you get on like the Schneider load board, it's kind of reflected in that, you know, guys from other areas of the country where they're not real strong or the, there's a capacity issue where they're upside down, you know, they're like, Oh, it's only a dollar a mile. Well, yeah. In your area, that's probably right. Cause that's what the market is. In that area. So it changes area to area to area. So I took a load out of Florida that went up to New Jersey. And the, the rate was pretty damn good. It, it, it Actually, it kicked ass. So then my New Jersey rate to get back home was crap. It just was. Right. But when you figured in all the miles, I still done well. I wanted to get home. I wasn't going home empty. Why would I do that? Well, that's, that's so, exactly what I did on this trip. I was, I was supposed to pick I up a load going back up to New Florida. Jersey. Oh, go ahead, Terry. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was pick. I was supposed to pick up a load going to New Jersey. I get to. I get to pick up, and the the freight was gone. The broker's customer actually arranged the truck, so he gave me a truck order not used, which was nice of him. And when yeah. I got the got the rate con, I when I emailed them back, I said, "Hey, let me know what else you have going on." Well, he had a load going to Pittsburgh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and. You know, and it was a, a it was a, a, a way above average rate. I don't know where this guy is. I love this guy because his average is a way above his, his freight average is a way above uh, freight rates are way mm -hmm. above average coming out of Houston. I'm like, great, I'll take it. So now I go on the load board trying to figure out what I'm going to do because I, I have a, actually a chemical load on Monday. I have to get out of, out of Pittsburgh down. And I found this load. I talked to the broker. Anyway, you can come up a little bit and we we. It wound up to be like two dollars and eleven cents, I think it is, or something like that. And mm -hmm. they they said to me, you know, I, are you okay with that? I said, I'm perfectly fine with that. If I'm making two dollars a mile, I'm perfectly fine with that. And yeah. uh, you know, it, it worked out well. I mean, I'm sitting in Houston right now, waiting on load. I'm gonna 
park my flatbed and I'm going to hook up to my tanker and go do a load on Monday, you know? So, so uh, one of the situations that I ran into just as an example of, of a mega carriers, I guess being unfair, I, not really, but uh, I picked up a trailer and the uh, sticker on it for the annual inspection was out. And so I had to take the time to get the trailer inspected. And I got all that taken care of and they found a couple bad breaks. We got all that taken care of everything taken care of. And then on the way up to New Jersey, with the bridge collapse, I decided to take a route out and around and then come back from the, from the north side to avoid all the, the bullshit. Mm-hmm. And this all happened kind of over the weekend. And I just sent them a message Friday saying, hey, look, I had to do this and I had to drive out and around. And they said, oh, we'll take care of you, no problem. It's like, cool, <laughs> I'll take through extra money into it. I didn't have to beg them. I didn't have to do nothing. I thought that was, I wasn't expecting anything. I figured, yeah, I'll take it on the chin on this. And that, that just wasn't the case. They're like, no, 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 you you yeah. you got there on time and so yeah we'll 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 help you out i was there like you awesome. go. yeah so i i don't know all right fred well, well imagine be perfectly good yeah good yeah, i was just gonna say final words uh, ima- calls are piling up on me here yeah well i was gonna say the, the load i'm doing on monday is actually for schneider chemical side <laughs> there you go awesome. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Just yeah. tell tell them what a bunch right, of scumbags weekend, guys. There are. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. They are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make sure to insult them. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> yeah. let's go to Texas. Publicly, yeah. publicly, you know. Yeah, exactly. Paul, welcome. Howdy. I got a list now. I'll be real quick. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll just, uh, you mentioned metric. I, I don't know why this country did not get on board, but. Some people did. Mac have the MP8. The 8 is mm-hmm. for 800 cubic inches. The MP10 is 1,000 cubic inches. Really? So they're all- I, didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I learned something today. Yep. 800, 800 cubic inches? Is, that, they've rounded it up roughly. That sounds so much liters. more impressive. 1,000 cubic, 1, cubic inches is 16 liters, near enough. So, if they would have called it the MP800... Yeah, then right. they would have had something, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I guess they didn't want to confuse people. So. Yeah, MPA then, just doesn't <laughs> sound impressive. Yeah, and we have a cubic feet. That wouldn't sound as interesting either, probably. Right. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. Kevin, you, oh, you, you do this when you're talking about tire sizes. You say 16, 30 seconds. Well, that's a half. Why not just say a half? <laughs> that's a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, we, we so should which always. Is bigger, which is bigger, 16? <laughs> which is bigger, 16, 30 seconds, four eighths or a half inch? Which is bigger? Uh, <laughs> you're, you are correct. We should. Oh, well, you're going to get people mixed up. We, we should like always try to. When they couldn't sell third pound burgers. But even let's think about this. How hard is it? It's. It, I mean, it's not really hard, but it's a lot more complicated to have to bring my fraction down to the lowest common denominators. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's confusing. Yep, I agree. So, what do you mean four aces is the same thing as 16, 30 seconds or one over two? How can they all be the same? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the same. Which would be 12.5. 12.52 minutes, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> so... Yeah, you had a guy call earlier today about the guy with the the MBM cat, which is the bridge motor, I think, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, and he was talking about his his exhaust, his pyrometer was hot. Well, if he wrap, if he put a turbo blanket and wrapped the exhaust pipe 
that would bring the temperature down. But then I got to thinking, on no, a, it, it, you it want holds, to do that on an old temperature in. Yeah, but it brings it brings the exhaust the, temperature down. Well, that's our goal because we hope the air flows faster by holding yeah. the heat in, right? Yeah. Yeah, but then I got to thinking. So you wouldn't want to do that on an emission engine, would you? No. Like a Volvo. No, no. Well, look, no. Wait a second. Well, wait a second. well, let me let me let me answer, and then I'll I'll give it to you. So that uh, we've we've done a lot of things over the years on trucks to try to get a little bit more fuel economy out of them, and, we, and we've tested things. Talked about when we used to pull the airline that a lot of almost all engines pull air off the turbo for the compressor we said wait that's yep. where we're bleeding off boost why would we want to do that so we put a little filter on the air compressor and let it suck its own air in filtered and uh, look you, you could never measure the difference the same thing with the turbo blanket i promise nobody has ever measured a fuel economy gain with just the turbo blanket is there an advantage? Uh, yeah, we can look at physics and we can say these things made things better, but some of these things are just way too small to measure. Mm -hmm. So what you're, what you're talking about with the turbo blanket, just real quick here, when you think about that on a turbo compounded engine, it's not exhaust velocity per se that they're recovering in that second blowdown turbine. They're recovering heat. So okay. in that particular case, with that particular engine, the turbo blanket is going right. to increase the the, the, heat. the heat transfer to the blowdown turbine. Yeah. So wow. it, in yeah. theory, it would it would help. Yeah. Yep. Well, I I, okay. I also talked uh, about that goofy stack that I happened to see in Freightliner one day uh, with that weird notch in the the stack oh, the turnout, cutout on the, back of it. the cutout on on the yeah and. I, I looked at it and immediately thought, I know why they did that. It creates a vacuum at the top of the stack and helps pull the exhaust air out, which reduces back pressure. It, there's logic behind that. It's kind of like fly swatter mud, slap, mud flaps, right, Henry? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And even on the fly swatters, some places, they can hurt the fuel mileage. Uh, yeah, all of this stuff yeah, is, you're, is you are you are correct. Yeah. Is, is conditional, right? It's Almost all, all dependent. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Hey, conditional, um, Kevin. You had the subject of droop come up on the Power Hour, and <laughs> let, uh, give it to the guys. They uh, they got that fairly spot on, um, and that's something we worked with for years and years as we were down speeding. And just just to be aware, because now. Everybody will think, man, if I go out and set my droop, it's going to apply across the board to everything. I'm going to get better fuel mileage. Traditional trucks, they that droop is a Band-Aid for piss-poor gearing. That's what droop is right. when it comes right down right. to it. So as you get more aggressively downsped, you got to get rid of droop where the truck falls on its face. So it, it applies to old-school stuff. I, I think he's 100% right when he said you'll get better mileage. I can't tell you how much, but you'll get better. I think the more traditionally you're geared – the bigger the impact will be for you as you get down to like 308 overdrive. I think that's probably the dividing line where you got to, that droop is like, take it easy so, with it. And then as you get down to 264, it probably goes away. So I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm a big believer in, in tweaking everything and we want to get every little advantage we can, but I, I, I think I'm going to ban this whole concept. The, the, the droop thing just isn't working for me.
I'm sorry. <laughs> we either have to come up with another I, word yeah, or we're I know just where not this talking going, about yeah. this anymore. <laughs> I, or, or, hold on, wait, wait. I just, I, I just had a brilliant idea. My marketing mind just kicked in. You know, we're going to keep talking about Droop, and I'm going to get Viagra to be our sponsor. There, there you go. We'll call it anti-Droop. The Swedish word for Droop, <laughs> the Swedish word for Droop, and you'll have fun with this is schwung. Oh no way! You got to set the schwung. <laughs> yes, it is schwung. I guess I got to get the German my, translation. My, yeah, my, there you go. My, my schwung is drooping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 my schwag. What happened? It's yeah. drooping. <laughs> oh shoot! It must be. I got. Fine. I got two. Go I'll two now. more. I'll be. I got two more. I'll be quick. So, I think it was last week. You had a guy call in, and he was asking about the new five eighty nine P. And uh, you, you were talking about model numbers and everything. Well, I think I know why they branded that one the five eighty nine. Because that's probably going to be your average miles per gallon out of that truck. <laughs> you know, probably pretty close. Oh my! You know, it's interesting. Like you With just some of these it, truck models that are out there. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Joel's just, got the eight sixty. Is yours an eight sixty? What's that? Joel, is your truck an eight sixty? No, I have the seven sixty. Seven sixty. So, oh well. Even a Volvo 860, if you if you go on the same pressure, <laughs> that would be eight. There you go. So you know, so mo they, yeah, there you go. Most of the time in cars and trucks, <laughs> that the these numbers usually mean something. You know, so like you said, the MP8. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was 800 cubic inches. So the 589. All of those numbers may mean something. When you look at, say, like BMW, Europeans were much better at this. And I, we, in this country, we always want to give our vehicles goofy names. You look at the Europeans, they don't use names. They use numbers, and they all make sense. The BMW 325, it's a three-series body style with a 2.5-liter engine. It, it, it tells me something. I look right at it, and I know something about that vehicle. I, I think that's a much better system. Mm -hmm. So maybe that 589 actually does stand for something. I've just never known what most of these things mean in trucking. Well, well Kevin, remember how long the model number used to be on like a Freightliner cabber? Like oh, a yeah. It, <laughs> right. it was right. Every number meant something, it but did. good luck with that. Yeah, it did, though. You're right. <laughs> you could tell if it was a 6x4, a 6x2, which body style it was. There was all kinds of information in that it was, number. It was essentially the VIN, VIN number, number was the name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah the, VIN, the VIN number was the name. The model number. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, so it, but, it, but it told you something. Contract, right? when, I, when I think about it, I see Cascadia. What the hell does that tell me? Almost nothing. There's lots of configurations. Hey, There's no, come, on. <laughs> come on. Cascadia is a cool mountain, all right? Come on. Actually, I have a little bit of trivia here. I met the guy who chose that name. Uh -huh. Yeah. When they were. And which way did his office face? 
<laughs> when they when they were developing that truck, I was doing a lot of work with Freightliner back then. And I flew, I was in Florida. I flew mm -hmm. out to Portland, got to do the test drive with the disguised truck and all that. That was kind of fun. You couldn't see what it looked like. And uh, Freightliner does that all over. They're right here. So I see them up and down 85 all the time. But that was the first time I'd come out here. I got to meet the team that was developing the truck. I got to go test drive it. But they, they ran an internal contest in the company, and he was the one that picked the winning name. Mm -hmm. And wow. he's retired now. And just of that same trivia, I just stayed at his house two days ago. Did you really? Because I ended up late. Uh, yes. He lives in Maryland now. Ah. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. This would have been like, uh, I'm thinking like 07, 07, 08. Yeah. Yeah. 07. Well, it must the have decision been. was made, I think. I was, yep. Right when it they It seems started. like all of the good engineers are retiring. They had uh, one of the guys that I've worked with for years, Bruce Brierly, um, who actually started at Mac 40, I think, seven years ago. Wow. And he, he, this is his last week today. And he actually worked on some of the very early mechanical stuff. And he holds a bunch of patents on that. And, and uh, you know, for all the people who think Volvo just came in and they're all a bunch of Swedes there, that is not <laughs> the case. Um, they have their own engineering staff. A, a lot of them are, there are a lot of Swedes, but there are a lot of Americans. And there are, you know, there were some uh, uh, old school Mac people that are still active in there, you know, working on some of this new technology. So, you know, and if same, we same if, way over at Daimler with that, if we think about it, why does that matter? We're, we're all just people. people get hung up on that stuff. We were just born in yeah, a different place people. on the planet. We're all just people. And where you were born, it's not like you're responsible for it. It's pure chance. <laughs> this is true <laughs> well, what's nice from gathering different stuff from around the world like even the one group that i belong to that having different opinions that come from somewhere else might spark some thought that's different it's a great thing you know it, it, whether it originated it in spain or yugoslavia who cares so here's a here's good idea a, a good I agree. idea yeah, we're because it's Friday, we're allowed to jump all over the place. I want to get your opinion on this because the three of us have had this conversation before, and I think we should probably do a show on it, but I think I want to do it on a space. I think we'll have, once I figure out all the technical issues. So you know how you, the three of us had a really good conversation going one day about driver pay. Remember that kind of a hybrid hourly mm -hmm. mileage? Just, just looking at, so I wrote a post this morning. Yep. And I wrote about the, the paradox of conflicting cost in trucking. Your two biggest costs, wage, driver's mm -hmm. wages and fuel. They're in total conflict with each other. Drivers mm -hmm. want to get paid more. Yep. They, they want to go faster because you're paying them by the mile. The faster they go, the more your fuel costs. This is insanity to me that we operate like this. And, and we've talked mm -hmm. about that. So I, I posted it and then I, I'm on, so I haven't been following it, but I just looked. And one of the questions was, in your opinion, what should what should drivers on average be paid? And and honestly, when I first looked at that, the question kind of stumped me because my answer, I guess, is as much as possible. But I don't want it controlled in any way. I just want a better system. I, I don't want some sort of minimum wage or anything like that. I just want a better system so they have an opportunity to make more money. But I don't know. I, I can't put a number on it. 
Any well, nobody can. Yeah, I, I, I mean we're, we're yeah. Well, we're we're in a free market, and the market's going to dictate, you know, where that that pay's going to going to level out at. Uh, you know, as we talked about before, I think there's issues with how we're how we can pay by the mile. You know, maybe that should go away, um, and, and maybe not. You know. We still have to have that discussion, but once you decide on the format that the, the pay scale should look like, the, the, the market's going to determine where we need to be, and it, it's going to constantly move. You know, when we're with high capacity, low capacity, wages will will kind of vary to a certain degree. They're not going to go down much, obviously, or you're going to have people leaving the system. But uh, um, it, it's it's really really difficult to put a put a number on that it is and i'm Especially trying to explain that safety go ahead Henry. adding safety into the element piece rate which is what mileage pay is doesn't really lend itself well to safety because putting in more miles you know hammer down right that's right where you go with that so yep. getting hourly into it where time is really what we have to sell do we have miles as you you know on your tombstone, does right. it say how many years you put in life or how many miles you put on? So. Right, right, right. I, I think personally that, you know, pay has to take into account time in one form or another. There has to be a time component of it. And, um, you know, we've already got laws on the books that regulate it for everybody else. I don't see why truck drivers should be exempt from that. Um, you may or may not agree with what we got on the books, but they're there. So if you put a time component there, bring them into the mainstream with everybody else, that's supposed to be some form of labor protection. I'm personally not a big fan of the government getting involved, but this is for company drivers, not owner operators or operators. They set their own, you know, kind of wages by rates and whatnot. So it has nothing to do with an owner operator. It is a company driver and, and let's face it, uh, Corporations have the reputation of taking advantage of of workers when they can. Yep. Um, and it just oh, hold on. It just does. But hold on. So let's also say mm-hmm. the inverse. Employees have have been known to take advantage I, 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 of their you, company you they are, work for. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. There. There is no doubt. That's a two way street. So, uh, yeah. I, I. You know. If. If way we can track drivers now a company driver especially you know everything they do you know how exactly how productive they are uh, so it's hard for a driver nowadays to take advantage of a company where in the past before we could track everything you just totally took advantage everybody did i mean just the way it was every every chance you got to take advantage of them you did um so that's kind of brought then brought the parity so i think if you you attach a time component to a company driver's pay. Um, you give them wage protection for the basement, so they have to make at least minimum wage, which I'm sure will end up much higher than that. Uh, I think that's going to impact us owner-operators in terms of rates. I think rates go up. I think, I honestly, I think we haul freight way too cheap in general. I don't think that you should be able to make 50 kajillion widgets in China, ship them clear across the ocean, bring them into a port, divide them all up, and then ship them clear across the country cheaper than what we can make them in our own country for. That's a that really should good never point. happen. Yep, really good point. Yep. That should never happen. So to me, that tells me we're doing something wrong. And um, 
AI is just going to make it worse. uh, Well, so here's here's something interesting that since you just mentioned AI, I was playing around while you were making so much sense there. And I was trying to figure out my answer to this because it it does kind of stump me. Do I have a number in mind? And I don't. So here was my response just off the top of my head right now. I said, I have no number in mind in a free market. I want a system that allows individuals to determine their own pay based on the value provided. I'm highlighting a system that is nonsensical, the pay by the mile when fuel's so expensive and could be improved. I'm not in favor of any mandated minimum or mandated wages. That that's my answer. It's kind of a non-answer. I don't know mm-hmm. what the best system is. Mm-hmm. I just know that this system sucks. And if we all start talking about a better mm-hmm. system, I think we'll come up with something. But the first step is to realize this system is just ignorant. It makes no sense. It, it, you're right. It makes no sense. But I think what's important is that we get people out actually experimenting with different right. ideas. Yep. And right. a lot of companies aren't willing to do that because they can really take it on the chin. And, and my, my brother struggles with this inside his fleet. He wants to do a lot of things different that he thinks is more fair to the driver. He would love to be able to do so, some hourly stuff, you know, like we talked about a hybrid system. The problem is, is when Joe Blow down the street doesn't have to do that right. and he comes knocking at his customer's door, he's going to get undercut. You know, trying to do the right thing, he's going to get undercut. No, I And get that's it. a problem. I get it. And that's why I've said, it, no, look, yeah. th- this is an issue I normally stay away from. For two reasons. One, I don't do a lot mm-hmm. with company drivers. That This is a company driver issue, and that, that's not really my market. Health-wise, yep. certainly, I'll help them all day yep. long. They want to buy a truck, I'll help them do that. But I, I usually stay away from driver wage issues, driver rules, cameras, all that kind of stuff. It's just, just not my market. Um, but what if we did this? Mm-hmm. What if we, I think, so what we need then is some sort of movement within the industry. It is too difficult for one maverick to try to step out and do this with all the competition. It's really difficult. The The group that I think that mm-hmm. should actually start looking at this is NACFI. NACFI wasn't formed just about fuel mileage. It was formed about freight efficiency, and this is a freight efficiency issue. It is a freight efficiency issue, Uh and business owners talk about the money aspect, and what we really, really miss is the safety aspect of this, and I know a lot of people, they're not going to like to hear this, but that should be the number one overriding concern of heavy trucks should be safety, and it's just not. It's productivity, and And it's problematic. And that's why we, we see, have nuclear verdicts. Yes, we see them. Yes, right. We have nuclear verdicts. We see these massive pileups every winter. We see all all kinds of issues with the way we're doing things now. In addition to the fact that you know we can bring Chinese widgets over here and distribute them all over the country, none of what we're doing makes any sense. And it will at some point probably collapse in on itself. I don't know when that will be, but you can't have a system that's so dysfunctional. And for it to, and it's gone a lot of years this way, you know, ever since the regulation, it's, it's sure. run this way. But we do know that drivers, you know, kind of before deregulation as company drivers, you were a, a good middle class, upper middle class, a lot of times living. 
it's not not so much anymore for a company driver. You're kind of bottom middle class if, right. if you're in middle class at all. Right. And you are constantly working your ass off to be there. And there's well, there's yeah. a lot of problems here. Well, you Definitely know, and, a lot of problems and, here. And but, to expand on what you said, what your brother goes through, what every fleet would end up going through, even if they want to do this. The the problem is, this comes back to, it is a free market, supply and demand matters. There is a ton of competition in trucking. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of competitors. It, it's it, So well, when people would say to me, why don't we just pay by the hour? And I'd say, here's the problem. Drivers get paid a certain amount of money now, and obviously if we want to pay them differently, the goal must be to pay them more too, right? I mean, what would be the point of just switching to hours if they end up taking home the same amount of money and nothing really changes? So, right. So, so, And then if you look this. at the financials of trucking companies, they can't afford to pay their drivers anymore. There's not any, there's just not much margin in this business. <laughs> <laughs> You're 100% right, but this goes deeper than just the trucking company. So back in the day, and this went up until about the mid-1970s, where we really started to see this change, like we saw Kmart and Walmarts and the big box stores pop up, and slowly all of our local industry and mom-and-pop stores went away, yep. and they were replaced by these big box stores because transportation was so damn cheap. Guys that Bezos owns Amazon. Do you think he's going to let you change the tr the transportation <laughs> industry that's made him a, ca a cajillionaire? Yeah, that right. is not going to happen. You know, good point. There's no way in hell he's making way too much money, and he's making it. And I hate to say this, but he's essentially making it on the backs of the drivers out here. Yeah. They just are. Yeah. You know, they're living this huge lifestyle and we're out here, you know, really, really busting our asses. I, I don't want to say suffering, but you, you know what I'm saying? Right. We're working right. damn hard for our money and these big box stores, they get filthy, stinking rich and they do it because they know they have a very inexpensive transportation system that so, is supremely efficient. And they know if I pay by the mile and we don't give a damn about safety, it's going to get even more efficient. And look at this dumb son of a bitch. He's going to run through a snowstorm 70 mile an hour to get me widgets here. So now let's think and that's about what happens. Let's think yeah, about the, the three of us. This is why I love the owner-operator model. And look, I get it. Not everybody can be an owner-operator. Not everybody should be. In fact, the majority shouldn't. That's just the way it is. It, this is hard. It requires a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of things. But I, I think this is a, just a crazy industry where the drivers, I, I do believe, are underpaid. Uh, but but uh, I'm a free market guy. We've got to figure out why they're underpaid and, and not just say, well, the government should mandate paying them more. That, that doesn't fix anything, in my opinion. Well, but what I found was if I want to be a truck driver, I, I'm going to be an owner operator so I can determine how much money I get paid. And now when you look at, I mean, we have owner operators. Point, you're, the, you're one of them, Henry, you're one making a really, really good living based on the skill level and knowledge and everything else. It's almost like two extremes. On one side, you have drivers not being paid enough. On the other, you've got owner operators that if they do everything right, can really generate a lot of revenue. Well, what's funny with this, Kevin, because this is a subject me and Joel have been talking about off the air. There, there isn't 
a major career path in this industry. Oh, I've you said that CDL, for years. Right. You can, you can do darn near anything. It'd be like, you know, I got my pilot's license in a Piper Cub, but I'm going to fly a 747 later this afternoon. Probably can, not a good idea. I, but I, that's I, how our industry is. And I'm going to make a statement. And boy, am I going to piss a bunch of people off. Um, but it's just truth. I, I just think we should face reality, even if it hurts, even if somebody's feelings get hurt. Um, we should just face reality. I've talked about why why people become truck drivers, personality traits that lead you to become a truck driver. You tend to be loners because we spend an awful lot of time together or, or alone in the truck. Mm-hmm. Not, alone. Very, not very sociable many, many times. Drivers don't like things like paperwork or uh, honestly, mm-hmm. the the I don't know what word I want to use, average or typical or whatever, that truck driver doesn't have the, the desire many times or the skills or the temperament or the personality to do much else in trucking. I've seen it. I've seen people go become dispatchers and they are miserable. They go into the safety department because they're tired of being on the road. Now, it, it's not yep. across the board. I'm making a yep. generalization here. But we have to address that a lot of these guys don't have a career path because they don't want one. Well, I'm one of them. I'm one of those guys, Kevin. I I kind of am, too. too. I know. What I was getting into, this is where me and Joel were going with this, career path within the truck because of certain acts that, you know, sound like a refreshment that you would drink. (laughs) so it's held the industry back from being more productive so having these more productive venues like they were pulling twin 53s that driver would be worth more but make it that you have to work towards getting there much like the new york thruway does with the doubles i think with their double uh 48 they have to have six years of clean life safety Safety requirements need to drive the agenda, and that provides a career path. The problem is, is that everybody, almost across the board in the industry, safety is the last thing on their mind. They all talk a big game, but at the end of the day, it gets pushed, pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. You know, let's run this thing 75 mile an hour to make this delivery on time. I don't give a damn what my safety camera says on the score. You know, the, the customer wants it there. He doesn't give a damn if you get into an accident and kill 15 people. He wants his widgets. We don't make safety a priority. That eliminates the career path. It lowers the bar for entry. It allows anybody from McDonald's that has a driver's license to come drive a truck in a, essentially a day, you know, and it's, it's very problematic. And this is what the government, if, if, if we have a government for anything, it is for things like safety because you know damn well that corporations are not going to make that the priority. Their number one priority is always going to be turning a profit. It's going to be productivity. And that's fine, and that's how it should be. The government, on the other hand, should be there to say, you can make a profit, but you're going to have to do it safely. And if you put safety at the very top of the list, it drives a career path. It solves a whole lot of problems for us, but nobody wants to talk about it in the industry because productivity goes down. Drivers' wages come way up. We get the career path that me and Henry are talking have been talking about, and then I think what Henry likes to talk about ice tea. Then you have to really look at, you know, okay, how do we become more productive without going faster? 
we run, you know, double 53s, double 48s, whatever it is, more weight. They've done it in Europe for years. I think on average, Western European truck drivers probably live a better lifestyle, make better money than what we do here and work less hours doing it. You know, I'll give you an example. And Henry already mentioned it. We do it some here and I did it with um, RPS and FedEx when I was in Ohio at the Akron terminal. I, I had some opportunities to run the triples on the turnpike and they paid more to do it. And if I remember right, I, mm-hmm. I also in Florida, I ran the double 45s on the Florida turnpike from Miami up to Orlando. Mm-hmm. I think both of them paid mm-hmm. around 10 cents a mile more on the base pay. And, and there were qualifications. You had to have mm-hmm. so many years experience. You had to have a clean driving record, no tickets, yep. no accidents, which was perfect. And when I did that, people were like, you're nuts. Why would you do that to your tractor for nuts. 10 cents more? And I said, wait a minute, I, I do the numbers. I, I can tell you it only cost me three cents more. My cost only went up, my, right. my cost goes up three cents a mile when I pull these and I make seven cents a mile more net. And you think I'm crazy? Why wouldn't I do this? Right, and and, and look at this from a safety perspective as well. So you have the big railroad lobby out there that there is no way in hell they're going to let us pull twin 53s out on the highway. It's not going to happen because it would would bankrupt the railroads. It just would. But think about you would have a speed limit on them, 50, 55 mile an hour, whatever it is, twin 53s. Think about how many drivers, the reduction in the need for drivers, and then you're going to only going to have the very best skilled drivers in those trucks. Yeah. Things are going to get safer. It ain't going to go backwards. Things are going to get much safer. You're going to have fewer vehicles on the road, less emissions. It's good for the climate people. It's good for the safety people. It's good for the driver. It's good all the way around. But when it's good all the way around, it never seems to happen, right? <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. It just never pans out. But yeah. Uh, you know, prioritize safety, bring the long combination vehicles into the mainstream and everybody's wages goes up. The driver's wages for the company guys go up. And when their wages go up, owner operator wages go up as well. And, and on top of that, it would reduce the wear on our interstate system because oh, there, each there's no doubt. just say roughly 20,000 pounds. You're taking 20,000 pounds out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same, there, there's, same there's no amount doubt. of freight, but 20,000 pounds less equipment. That's a good point. Right. Which means yeah. we're moving every pound of yeah, freight good. more efficiently. Uh, right. Then when you start looking but at it like the railroad does. More money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you look at it like the railroad does in terms of freight efficiency and not fuel mileage. Right. Things get really, really good. Yeah. And uh, that scares the hell out of the railroad. Hey. You know I mean, they, they don't want that happening. Hey. So they, yeah, they have a very have strong lobby. And All right. Yeah. Real, real, when you look at quick. the Hawaii Tea Act, it says for efficiency, it was the uh, opposite. Okay, Henry. Uh, now you just mm-hmm. made up my mind. I was going to say we got to start wrapping this up, but I have a couple of thoughts. When you say iced tea, we got to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Joel said it first. <laughs> we're going to make a drinking game out of that. Shit. <laughs> there you go. So here, here's I, I got. We're wrap. talking about Long Island iced tea, right? That's right. Right. I got. I've got two calls. We're going to yep. get to them because they've been holding. Um, then we're going to wrap this up so we can all get mm-hmm. on with our weekend. I want you guys to remind me, if I figure out what the hell happened with my technical setup that I can't do spaces anymore, next week I want to do this as a space, but I want to make that the theme. 
this whole driver pay efficiency that let's let's kind of make that a theme there's a lot of people that join on spaces that have never been exposed to any of these ideas you know most our, our tribes all they've heard us argue this stuff which is fine repetition's good but we're really reaching a, a new audience out there that it's kind of interesting to watch them when they hear some of these <laughs> concepts it's like they've never heard any of this stuff before hey cat if we're going to talk about pay, can I bring my back office guy on? Absolutely. Cause he knows the shit inside. Now. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. He's been in the wall street journal and a couple, yeah. of, a couple other articles he's had published on this and, and he'll make your head spin on this shit. Absolutely. So, um, and if you yeah, could, that would, um, yeah. if it's not too much mm -hmm. trouble, if you could send over any material he's written, I'd love to read it ahead of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can probably get that done. I'll yeah. call them and, and have them so, shoot stuff over to you. Yeah, so let's do that. So I am putting you two in charge of remembering this because I promise you tomorrow morning I'll forget that I even said this. <laughs> Happens all the time. And next Friday I'll be going, I thought there was supposed to be some sort of a what? theme today, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, well gotcha. wasn't that Joel that he said next week he wanted to talk about a refreshing drink? <laughs> yeah from long island from long island <laughs> oh man All there right. you go let, let's get to the calls let's go to texas kevin welcome hey guys uh i'll make it real short and sweet uh joel i can get a volvo 860 it does have the d13tc but it has a 12 speed overdrive with 242 mm -hmm. gears as for the drivetrain. Uh, what type of, I know it's not an iTorque spec because it's not nope. down there in the 220s, but right now in my uh, in my 15 model Cascadia, I'm getting on up there in miles, and uh, I just kind of want to make the jump, but also by the same token, I mean, I don't want something that I'm not going to get better fuel mileage with, and I'm sitting at about, Anywhere from seven and a half to low eights on in, in this truck, unless it becomes mm -hmm. a turd floater and you can't get any fuel mileage at all because of the wind and the rain and all the sure low sure. rolling resistance goes to shit. So sure. the two the two forty seven overdrive with a twelve speed that is what they call an XE package. Um, that was at one point their most fuel efficient offering it was called extreme efficiency xe is what it what it stood for um it will do well fuel efficiency wise it's not as versatile as itorque um you're probably not going to get quite the numbers the itorque gets but it will be very respectable you won't set world records with it but it'll be damn respectable it'll be as good as the majority of trucks out on the road um, it just won't have the same versatility when you're climbing hills. You won't have underdrive available with torque multiplication. It's going to want to tend to try to keep it in overdrive longer than what most drivers are like, oh, damn thing won't die. It's doing that for the fuel efficiency it has to work with with that gear ratio. So as long as you know that ahead of time, that truck will do just fine for you, I think. Okay, so I'm still looking a mile per gallon better than been mid sevens low eights right see i pull off the bottom so my aerodynamics isn't the best anyway there's no side skirts on the trailer uh i do yeah. get as close as i can up but uh what balances a lot of that out is because the company that i work for i also get paid like 15 cents less a loaded like if i'm 
Like it's usually two twenty loaded, but I get like two dollars mm-hmm. empty, and I run a quite a. It's probably about thirty five to forty percent empty miles. Oh, you'll do okay. You'll do well then with it because that overdrive, that two forty seven over, I think ends up being one sixty eight is the final. So it really lays the RPM down, and, and even at higher speeds, I, you, you will. You will see improved fuel efficiency over where you're at now. I can't put a number to it because it's, I haven't run a simulation and looked at a bunch of things, but I, I'm confident you'll see improved fuel efficiency, and uh, I, I think you'll be happy with the truck. Okay. All right, then. All right, well, I appreciate you guys. I know you guys want to get back to the – you want to get the show ended. You guys been on here a pretty good while, but I appreciate you, Joel, and you guys have a good weekend. Sure. You're welcome. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. You too. All right. Jackie, you get the final word today. Hey, guys. Hey there. Hello. Jackie. All right. Let's end on customer service because when you said earlier about the owner-operator should, uh, you know, think of the broker as a customer, I do agree with that. But I also think that everybody that you come in contact with when it comes to your load should be your customer. I agree. Your broker, Absolutely. agent. Yep, I agree. Your, you know, shipper and and your consignees. Yep. Well, and let, I tell you, well, um, I'm with ex- that evil Landstar broker, you know, yeah. carrier. Let me explain <laughs> how that fits into the, the big picture of what I talk about. I first, The first sentence, the way to succeed in business, pro- provide the most value to your customer you possibly can. And there's a thousand ways to do that. And you just named a big one. Service their customer well. So who is your broker's customer? Oh, well, it's the shipper and the receiver. So absolutely serve those people well. And everybody you come in contact with, really. So great point. Yeah, and Jackie, adding to what you were saying, you know that you've hit that right when customers start giving you keys to get in the gate or the building to unload yourself when they're not there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know anybody that has keys to their own. <laughs> you know, it was really great when that happened because it was kind of scary when they changed um, locations. They moved to a new location and it was fenced in. And I'm like, you know, I always get there usually in the middle of the night or, or you know, after they're closed. And then I would just park and wait for the next morning. And, uh, of course, Landstar doesn't let you be a sitting duck. So you can't just like park on the street because there's other places that are around their new place and all the other truck drivers come and they just park on the street and we can't do that. So, you know, I told him, I said, uh, yeah, Landstar doesn't let us park on the street and whenever he goes, Oh yeah, that's no problem. You'll get a key. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I get there. I let myself in. I bring the truck in the yard. I go back and close the gate and, pack up and go to bed so yeah it's, it's pretty nice uh, i have a ring of keys as well jackie i knew you did too <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty awesome the rest of my guys don't have locked places so that's pretty you know that's all right but i don't like it there i'm i'm locked in i don't have to worry about locking my truck because half the time i forget to lock it anyway <laughs> and, and, and it puts you in a nice place in line in the morning yeah yeah i'm already in the dock ready to go <laughs> oh so, yeah, I was just, you know, going to bring that up that everybody, especially, you know, places like, um, you know, when I first started hauling for the, the dedicated load that I have now, I mean, I've had it over 11 years. Um, you know, I didn't know I was going to haul it dedicated, but I always looked for the agents that had the direct customers, you know, and yeah, the last thing I'd want to do is be a jerk going in there, you know, <laughs> what's that going to do? It's going to get rid of all of our mm-hmm. customers and, you know, they've yeah, lost lanes and stuff over the years and they even came in recently and there was another carrier that underbid um, my lane by almost a dollar a mile 
and all the the shipper themselves because the corporate office is in Ohio. My shipper, of course, is in Iowa, and they're like, "No, we don't want to lose Jackie." And, and my customers at at the actual locations, they never actually knew what was happening until after it was all said and done. But they were like, "If they'd have done that, we would have been pissed." And uh, you know, they come back to us, and well, of course, I you know, we will definitely cut our rate. And so we ended up actually cutting the rate only by forty cents. And then um, they still kept us, even though we were still like 60 cents higher than the other guy. And there was the next week, something happened. Somebody screwed up. They sent windows to the wrong place. They called me up and they asked me, hey, can you pick these up and bring them and deliver them on your way back home? And I'm like, of course, you know, so I went and did that. And the very next load, my rate went back to my rate that I had previously. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> what's happening Funny here so it, it really is and uh yeah i mean i'm not saying that you're not going to get undercut by somebody or somebody's not going to come along and, and take your lane but absolutely just do the best job you can for these people out here and somebody's going to notice somewhere that's great any job worth doing is worth doing well is the old saying on that that, that exactly. is the bottom line right there if you're going to do it do it right you know, don't, yep. don't bitch, complain, throw a fit, just do it and do it right. And everything will work out for the most part. And if you put your best effort forward and you've got a good attitude, things are going to, things are going to work well for you. And it's surprising how much just attitude alone can turn around a failing operation. You get stuck in that mindset. I'm failing and, it's everybody else's fault, and you're not looking in the mirror and saying, you know, if I can just fix my attitude first, that's the first step to fixing everything else. You've got to fix yourself before you fix everything else. And, you know, sometimes you don't notice it. You're, you're bitching about every little thing. You're, you're on everybody's, you know, ass about things, and you're just your general outlook gets corroded, for lack of a better word. You and know, you, you need to fix that first. I've got a good example of this. Yep, and be uh, flexible. I've got a good recent example of this. You know, we got a lot going on. We got a lot of projects. I'm always reading. And I, I got into this mode where I just felt like everything that was going on in the world was so important. You know, all the politics, all the all the all this stuff, the border, everything was important. And I felt like I was responsible to know it. So, you know, if somebody asked me a question, I'll be up to date. So I was watching news all the time. My attitude started to suck. Oh, gosh. I, I And I it oh, took me yeah. a while to realize what was going on. I realized I'm not as effective anymore. I'm not getting as much work done. I seem to be you know, kind of short with some of my answers with people and what what's going on. And, and I realized the news was just giving me a really bad attitude about a lot of things. And I just stopped. I said, look, I don't I, I'll check in once a week to see what the hell's going on in the world. I'm turning off all the news. The only headlines I'm going to scroll are the, you know, stuff that really pertains to the show, trucking, health, that kind of stuff. What a difference within a couple of days. I started feeling better. I started being happier. I started being more productive yeah. <laughs> again. And it was nothing but what you just said, Joel. It was my own attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah, can't it, watch the news. <laughs> yeah, so, so many times, you know, you get into that funk with your own attitude and it just, it, it screws everything up. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I learned early on because I went through that real hard in my, my middle 20s, I guess. And, you know, it's, it's, you really have to look in the mirror and just say, what the hell am I doing? You know? And, uh, 
you have to work at it. You really do. Well, a lot of times, especially I, if you've been in that funk for a while, you really have to work at it to get out of it. And, and when you do, things get really good and, and you know, you're happy. So, yep. Well, that's what I, what I fight with. It's really easy with different stuff. And, and it was at a younger age that I came out of it that I refused to let myself be a victim. You know, but no, I'm responsible for my own actions. It's not the broker. It's not the mega care, you know. Absolutely. I'm, I, I even I'm take captain that, of my ship, and I'm running down that route. I take that one step further. Most of the stuff in our life really is our own responsibility or our own fault. But things do happen to us. Other people can do things that can kind of screw us up. But, but I've taken the approach, whether it's your fault or not, Take take control of it because if you blame it on yes. somebody else, you control have no it. control. Yes, right, exactly. exactly. Yep, control the situation, whether you made it or somebody else made it. The key is to take control of it. That's how you fix it. Right. So, yep. Right. Yeah, re- regardless of who done what to who, take control of the situation. Fix it. Yeah, when when and, people say, "Well, you, you end up a lot I, happier," I, I'm not responsible for that. Well, okay, you may not be responsible for the problem, and I may even agree with you. But why not be responsible for the solution? Yeah, you may yeah. not be the cause of the situation, but be responsible for right. it. Fix it. Exactly. Well, just even thinking of something just stupid, you know, just like my other truck. I couldn't get parts for it. So what do I do? I just go out and buy a different truck because right now I can't get parts for this one. So I need to buy something so I can keep going. You know, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't do nothing. Uh, it wasn't uh, my fault. Absolutely. <laughs> great, great example right there. You could have sat back and said, I failed because of a part shortage. I couldn't get a part for my truck. What am I going to yep. do? You, but you went and did something and it works. Almost always does. Just get yeah. proactive. <laughs> Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. And you're talking right. about numbers earlier and, and vehicles, FLD 120. 120 is from the, is 120 inches from the bumper to the back of the cab. Yep. I, that one I did Just know. in case you didn't know what the because 120 they was. Had the, <laughs> okay, they, good. <laughs> because they also had the 112. Yep. And the classic is 132. There you go. So, yep. Yeah, but so there, the, I guess there are a couple what, what of them I did the know. What does stand for? Okay, good. <laughs> Jackie, but what does the D stand for? Now that I don't know. I don't know. I just know the C's were a cab, weren't they? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so what would a D be? Huh. Somebody's going to have to go do some homework now. Yeah. So on the Volvo, the nomenclature, the VNL is, V is obviously Volvo. N means normal position. And that comes from the horse and carriage days. When you rode behind the horse, that was the normal position. And when you were on top of the horse, I guess that's the abnormal position. I don't know. But <laughs> that's how they got the N for normal position because you're behind the engine. So it's Volvo, normal position, and the L is long haul. And then VNR is the same thing but regional haul. See, I love that. When I, I, I don't know why I've never bothered to go learn all that because that, I think that – I know it's kind of goofy, but I kind of find it interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a little yeah, goofy. Especially that one, like the normal position. I would have been, what the hell does that mean, normal? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think they thought of that as they were adjusting schwung. Yeah. I think that's what happened. <laughs> you, you, if you stay in the normal position, you won't get as much droop in your schlong. 
No, Mr. Schwag, yeah, we, we got to stop because it's going to go off the rails. You start talking about that. Real fast. <laughs> all right. All right. Jackie, uh, great, great, wow. fi- great final word. Uh, up until now, uh, we you're right. We're we're heading into the ditch, so we're gonna we're gonna straighten up and fly right into the weekend. That's right. So, uh, I have no idea what's going on next week. Uh, I haven't looked at my schedule yet, so uh, probably give you an update on Monday. I am still going to be playing around with the schedule, moving things around. I do have to solve a technical issue over the weekend. I don't know what the hell happened, uh, but I'll work on that. I think I have a new phone coming today. That may help with some of the issues. So we'll see you then. Everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.